Wednesday, June the 1st, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Time to talk some NBA Finals with Eric. We preview the Nuggets versus the Heat. Lots of horse racing on this episode. Some Friday Santa Anita best bets. We've also got a couple of best bets over at Penn National. They have six stakes races on the Friday card, a graded stakes race there. So I've got a couple plays Friday night for Penn National. Then we get into Saturday. Churchill Downs, they've got a big day. It's the Stephen Foster preview day. So they have a bunch of stakes races on the card. A couple plays there. Actually have a few over at Belmont. We're just a week out from their big day. So let's start getting the feel for Belmont with a couple plays. Santa Anita, we've got a few over at Santa Anita for Saturday. Then Louisiana Downs, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday plays. We finish up with this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Where else are you going to find Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday horse racing plays from what? Penn National, Santa Anita, that's one, two, Churchill, three, Belmont, four, Louisiana, five different tracks, NBA Finals, and wrestling all on one episode of That's What G Said Podcast. I want to talk about one of our sponsors, Thrive Fantasy. If you head to Thrive Fantasy website and sign up, use the promo code GINO and deposit anything from 25 to 250, they'll give you a match deposit bonus. Now, what is Thrive Fantasy? Fantasy sports, daily fantasy. But what's interesting about them, I'm in the state of California. I can't legally wager on sports. I can't go bet on a sports game or a, a sports prop if I want at any site. Can't do it yet. But I can bet prop parlays through Thrive Fantasy. Sign up. Go check it out. As long as you combine two props, it falls under contest format. You can turn that into a parlay. And to entice you, Thrive actually gives you better value than you would get if you were playing parlays anywhere else. Are you in Texas? Are you in California? Do you want to get some action on some of these baseball games, basketball games, football season coming up? Go to Thrive Fantasy right now, download the app, try the website out, and use that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you a match deposit bonus, 25, all the way up to 250. It's a four times rollover. Let's talk NBA Finals Game 1 Thursday night. Nuggets host the Heat. Eric joins me to dive into the finals. Bust out the big guns for the NBA Finals preview here with Eric. Eric, man, we've talked about all of these games. What We picked up an NBA show midway through the NBA season where we were going a couple times a week. And then from playoffs on, we previewed every single game throughout the NBA playoffs through each round. Now we are to the finals Pretty crazy Eastern Conference Finals to ref- uh, reflect on a-, a little bit right now as Boston is down 3-0 to the eighth seed. They come all the way back with home court advantage. It's only the fourth time ever that a team was down 3-0, comes all the way back, ties it 3-3. Only the first time ever that a team did it with home court advantage. They were favored in almost every game of this series, even on the road. At home, they were always favored by about 8 to 10 points or so. And even with all the momentum in the world, even after they broke Miami's heart in game six, they hit a last second shot. Miami still comes back and beats them. How crazy was that? Well, I mean, there's obviously like when you just kind of sit back and look how that game unfolded, a couple things stood out to me um, in terms of game seven. Number one, I really didn't understand why Missoula took that time out at nine, four, they're up 9-4. There's like 6.53 left. Smart got the rebound, was looking to push, takes a timeout. After that, Miami closed the quarter on an 18-6 run. 
kind of a weird time to sh- take a timeout in my eyes. Uh, number two, they shot. They're just a team that just lives and dies by the these threes. They were yeah. nine for 42 from three. That's 21%. Um, and if it's not going on, they just feel they have – Guys that can go one on one and create buckets. Jaylen so, do you Brown. want to know what the one of the crazier uh, stats from the whole Eastern Conference Finals? The combination of Tatum and Brown had 18 three pointers made in the seven games. Caleb Martin made 22 himself. But could you? And I know. Could you? Could you imagine before the series if we had said? Caleb Martin is going to make four more three pointers in the combo of Brown and Tatum, who each shot six. They shot sixteen percent. Brown did, and Tatum twenty three percent. I mean, Brown had made eight shots and had eight turnovers. Yep. He had as many shots as turnovers. He had a more, he had a more turnovers than assists throughout the whole series. At three point seven turnovers per game, or something like that, and like three point five assists. It was it was close, but he had more turnovers than assists throughout the whole playoffs and throughout the series. At what do you do with a guy like him now, Eric? I mean, well, if you just kind of look at it, for him financially, he gets paid $40 million less if he signs with a different team. Yeah. Because of the Super Max rules. Um, so, so at least he signs, sense. and even for them, probably best to sign him and then trade him. If well, that's- you have to wait a year. Yeah, right. You have to wait a year. And I'll, I'll tell you what, like, they, I if I were them, you sign him, that's only 50% of your take of your payroll. You can still take, you can still fill a team out, fill guys around them. Obviously you need, um, I mean, you, you just need another wing that can knock down threes. Brogdon was hurt. I'm not a big Browning guy. White played great. I mean, they were running offense at one point in the third quarter. Derek White, who didn't even start the series. Yeah. Um, Obviously Horford Williams, you're going to have to figure out that. I think Horford finally retires. Williams just is a liability when they put him out on the wing defensively. So there's really not much you can do with him. And he's he's a free agent, right? So he's. Yeah. And then you need to get, you need to be able to move the ball. There's just no ball movement. They're at their best when they're driving, kick and go. They need Uh, like a Conley type, right? Like someone like a true point guard that can get the other guys going to where they don't have to handle the ball as much. Like who else is someone that would fit like that, right? They need someone that takes the ball maybe out of their hands a little bit more because we've seen it. The 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 um the book is out now on Jalen Brown when it gets into these more competitive series because good defenses and good teams know he cannot dribble the ball. Like he cannot put the ball on the ground. If you just pressure him, he's going to turn it over repeatedly. I mean, if you just kind of look at the Free agent point guards. You got Irving. You don't want him. Van Vliet, too expensive. D'Lo, maybe. Beverly, no. Rustbrook, no. Schroeder, maybe. Vincent's going to resign. I mean, Trey Jones, the guy from the Spurs, maybe take a flyer on him. I mean, I think that would be a young guy even on the cheap. Come in, kind of get stuff going in the right direction. You know who would be good for them is the guy who, like, is the backup for Memphis that you like. The guard, the point guard. What's his name? Tyus Jones. Yeah, that's that's Trey Jones's brother. Yeah, like some someone oh. like him who's who's playing in Memphis and maybe not getting as much run, or like you said, maybe maybe what you do. But I don't know if Derek White is quite that guy because Tyus Jones is a little bit more of like a get everybody set guy, right? And just like smart player. I think that's who they need. They kind of need maybe like an adult, like we've talked about, because 
Smart is the one guy that steps up sometimes, but you can't really trust him. He His decision-making isn't great, even though you're not worried about him shrinking from the moment. I don't know if you want him always having the ball and making the decisions. Smart, Smart does some cool shit on defense. Excuse my language. No, but... But he gets away with it. Yeah. And and they're going to... Uh, Kevin O'Connor from the, the Ringer was talking about recently how the next year they're going to try to really up on the flopping rules. And he could be one of those guys that really gets impacted. Like if that hurts his defense and he picks up a couple more fouls early on, is he even at, as impactful for you out there? So yeah, it's, it's a different perspective because you know, you can look at it in a few different, in a few ways, but for Boston, when you're supposed to win like this and you get beat this way, multiple times in this series at home again, like every time it was a really important pivotal moment, they just weren't there. Like they cowered um, against this team, against the heat team that wasn't as talented as them, uh, but they were better coached and their stars just seemed like the, like they weren't scared of the moment quite as much. And yeah, just he's way over his head. Um, So I'm looking at, O'Connor right now on online the trade he suggests Lillard draft picks and Simmons right no it's like future draft picks Brogdon White and Smart for Lillard okay a little too much there's these certain guys that get these passes in the NBA and Lillard's kind of one of them you're right because he's another guy that he hasn't gotten to the point yet in a series in the playoffs where they could really target him, you know, defensively, because he would start to to struggle a little bit. Other teams would kind of pick on him. And I I love Lillard, like in the right type of situation, you know, he would be a great fit with like LeBron and AD. But the problem is you'd have to empty everything out and you don't have anyone else. That that's sort of the problem with him, right? Like he can't be your one because you're, you need a a one. That's a better two way player. Your best player has to be, like a little bit better of a two-way player. They cannot be such a liability defensively, but he would, he's an upgrade for sure, but I don't know. You're giving up a lot. You're, you're giving like, up right, a lot. Of pieces. The other, I'm looking, I'm looking at sports Kita right now. The They say the Bucks it would, because the Bucks are probably going to lose Middleton in free agency. You can throw a package with Holiday. Holiday would give them that point guard that they desperately need. Yeah. Plus you throw in, Obviously, some picks. They have the Bulls package of center around DeRozan. I really don't know if that really does anything. No. Um, Houston Rockets. Um, Rockets have the young coaches, the cap space. Uh, Jesus, Trey Young. That'd be hilarious. Um, yeah. Number one, number one's the Blazers. I mean, like, it's just, I don't know. Like, they got to make a little, I just don't know if you want to roll the same thing back out there again, I, I don't know. Brogdon's if- got the expiring contract. I mean, the reality of the situation is that's the guy I think they move. Brogdon's got a one-year deal left. He'll probably be the guy they move. Um, they can try to okay. use him and, and package yeah, for some sort of an upgrade. And kind of kind of do something. But yeah, okay. Boston's a little bit up the creek right now in terms of what to do. Because if I'm Jalen Brown, I'm not leaving $40 million on the table. No. He's going to sign, and then you're, you're – you don't want to say stuck – because he's a good player, but he you've sort of seen his limitations right now. And you wonder, with these two guys as your two, in the roles they need to be now, as you're going to pay them more, and they're, you're going to have to 
you're going to have to make sure those guys are always contributing, right? When you have to pay these guys now max money, you're you're able to get one or two less real quality role players. So this Boston team isn't going to be as deep because all of a sudden, like a guy like Grant Williams is going to be gone. You know, they're just going to have less options than they've had the last couple of years. They're going to need Jalen Brown next year and, and moving forward if he is someone that signs to be that number two guy. They got, they got Gallinari too. I totally forgot. Yeah, that. you know what? And that and that's, you know, they, they have mentioned that too. Like him coming back next year will help them. And, and he would have been a piece that would have been a nice guy to go to here and there yeah. um, in the playoffs too. So, okay, Eric, let's get into the finals. We're looking over at our friends at DRF Sportsbook right now. And uh, actually, I got our little uh, fast break bets for NBA fast break bets up the title on top. We've been previewing all these games. We're going to go live on Thursday to preview the game one of the finals at Denver. And we'll preview each game individually for this. We'll talk a little bit more overall kind of series and big picture on Miami and Denver, how they've uh, how they've gotten to this point and what's been going on. So as we look at DRF Sportsbook, these are the series. Uh, this is like the game spread here. Um, you know, you can bet a bunch of different things. If you're looking for the total series, um, they're saying it's going to go five and a half here. You want, you think it's going to go over, or you think it's going to go under all sorts of different ways you can play, um, with these NBA series markets. And there's tons of wagers overall score the most points player props. So we'll talk about a few of these. We'll talk about ways we think we can find value, but overall let's just dive into the, the, uh, these two teams, Eric Jokic, Murray, Porter Jr., KCP, Gordon, Brown. You get a little Jeff Green in there, Reggie Jackson if they have to go deeper. On the Miami side, it's funny because even with um, even with some of their injuries, they still they still have a, a, a lot of guys they'll throw at you with Butler, Martin, Vincent, Bam, Struess, Robinson, Lowry, Love, Zeller, Highsmith. It's had some good run as of late. Denver's never won a title before this, and we've never seen a number eight seat win a title so something's got to give in this one eric start us off give us some of your overall thoughts here um well let's just kind of look look at it from a whole obviously um it comes down to can bam stop joker um i don't think he can when you look at the splits joker's done very well against bam and also with bam having to um do so much defensively that's going to kind of limit his offense so if he's having to exert himself defensively more than he normally does, what's that going to do offensively? And then when we just kind of sit back at it, and no offense toward, toward AD, if Joker was able to handle AD in a one-on-one situation, he's going to be able to handle Bam Adebayo in a Absolutely. one-on-one situation. And the, I so think what the what, Lakers tried to do and where they had a little bit of success, and I wonder if – if they, you know, if they try to start with Bam one on one, and then maybe they have to go to something like this where they put Kevin Love on Jokic with Bam right behind, you know, or or Zeller, he'll he'll eat them alive in the one on one situation. Then you get Bam to help, but the problem that they're going to encounter is exactly what the Lakers encounter. As soon as the Lakers flip to that, where they had Rui or LeBron defending Jokic and then Anthony Davis helping like Gordon in game four, Gordon was three for five from three, you know, yeah. like someone's going to be open and all of the Denver role players have hit those open shots. If you're helping off them. So what I think Spole is going to do, 
you have to look at it. The zone's not going to be effective because they put Joker in that middle middle part of it. He's going to eat that alive. So he's not going to be able to zone. What I think he's going to do is he's going to say, look, we're going to let Joker get his points. We can't stop him. What the person we want to limit is we want to limit Jamal Murray. We want to prevent Murray from having those 30, 28-point games, and we want to limit Joker to eight assists per game. I think that's kind of their goal going in there because I think they understand, hey, we're not going to be able to stop this guy. This guy's the best player in the league right now. He's going to get Spoh's hit. a smart dude. We're going to get, um, we're gonna have to get, let the other guys. Like if, if they help off and Aaron Gordon shoots 60% from three for the series and you lose like that, you I think just, you're kind of fine with that. You yeah. know what I mean? I think you're kind of yep. like, okay, you know what? It was yep. their series. And that's what um, happened in some of these series so far with Denver. They've shot 49% from the field as a team in the playoffs and 38% from three as a team in the playoffs. The Nuggets are averaging 119.7 points per 100 possessions through three rounds of the playoffs. That is the most efficient offense in the playoffs in the last six years. They So just to give you an example, the Lakers – through the first two rounds, had the best defense of any team in the playoffs. The Nuggets scored 15.8 points per 100 against the Lakers than the first two rounds did against the Lakers. They were that much better than other good offenses like the Warriors and, you know, Memphis. Um, yeah, and, I... I and just, the other thing, like, hypothetically, let's say they stop missing. Another worry for the Heat is let's look at the rotational players. Kyle Lowry, six feet. Max Struess, six five. Gabe Vincent, six two. Jimmy Butler, six seven. Highsmith, who's gonna have to play six five. Kevin Love, only six eight. Caleb Martin, six five. Duncan Robinson, six seven. You know, where are they gonna be able to keep Porter and Gordon off the glass? You know what I mean? Because those yeah. guys are actually good rebounders. Like, are they going to be able to get second chance points? KCP isn't small either, right? Like, he's bigger than you think, and he kind of guards up a little bit too. Um, this team, this Nuggets team, has been playing so well. Like you mentioned, Jokic twenty eight point a half points per game, seven rebound. Or excuse me, uh, that's that's Butler. Jokic twenty nine point nine points, thirteen point three rebounds, ten point three assists, eight triple doubles, forty seven percent from three. But Murray. He's been over 27 points, 48% from the field, 40% from three, 92% from the free throw line. He was the first player since 1980 to average 30-plus points in the conference finals with 52% from the field, 46% from three, and 92% from the free throw line. And it's not really fluky because he's done this multiple times in the playoffs. He's done this really all throughout this playoff run this year, and he did it in the bubble a few years ago. This guy was just hurt for a while, Eric. He was banged up. Um, and then you kind of look at it. Who are the third and fourth scoring options for the Heat? Who are gonna who who are gonna be the guys that step up? Because if you just kind of look at the Nuggets, KCP can hit from three, Gordon can do his thing slashing, and he can develop his out outside jump shot. Obviously, Joker, you got Murray, um, you got Porter. Um, they just have more guys that can score, they have more ways to beat you. And the one thing about Malone is this. This is the first guy in this playoff series that Spolstra has faced that will change stuff up. 
mm-hmm. that will go away from, hey, you know what? This is what we do. Tough shit. We're going to roll with it. Okay, this isn't working. Let's switch it up. Let's try this. Malone will do that. So I really feel this is the best coach that Spoel has faced. And he's going to have some stuff to kind of switch up going into it. Um, in order for the Heat to win, uh, Butler's going to have to play great. Bam's so he was, uh, while you're talking over. Butler, 28 and a half, seven rebounds, 5.7 assists. Who do you think is going to guard him from Denver? Do they throw Gordon at him? Because Gordon might be, uh, I don't want to say slow. Gordon guards up bigger a little bit better. He guarded LeBron kind of in Kevin Durant in the last couple series. Do th- is that who they throw at him? Because they don't really have a lot of wing options. I think, I think they um, – You don't want – it's not Porter, and KCP is probably too small, right? I think they put KCP – Maybe on, to start? Yeah. On Butler? On Butler, and then Gordon probably on Martin. Um, and then – but the thing is, is like Spoel so random with the starting lineup. Does he go back to Kevin Love out there? Yeah, he might, and I think because honestly, yeah. I think in this series, they are going to need the at least a few minutes of those bigger bodies, like we talked about it. Whether or not it, it is even always working for you, you you just need to get them out there sometimes for five minutes to just eat up, like eat up a couple fouls and eat up a few minutes to get Bam a breather and just to get like bang on Jokic a little bit with some of the big guys because he does seem like if you're just smaller or he he can overpower you, you really don't have any chance because he just sort of backs you down with his body and then just gets those little flips over. At least one of the some of those guys can like stand their ground a little bit like Love. And Love is kind of savvy also. Love is sort of like like a like a light Jokic before Jokic came, right? He was the guy who was a, a good passer, outlets, hit shots, you know, you could run some offense through, especially in college. He was oh, and and early on in his career, he was a lot more like that before moving to LeBron uh, to play with LeBron. So I think that's probably the way they, they try to go at least here and there. And I, I just worry overall for, for Miami. Like I know we've done this with them in each of their series, but I never thought maybe in the Milwaukee series, but then in the next two, I didn't think they were overmatched in those series. And I don't think you did either. Like they matched up well, really well with the Knicks and then with the Celtics and you played them. Uh, you put your money where your mouth is. Milwaukee was different. That was a little bit surprising to see them do that. And um, well, Milwaukee after round. I mean, like they yeah. Have and Giannis with Giannis and they have the round and it bit them. Spolster didn't make any changes. Um, and they shot the bell well. So you got to give credit where credit is due. And um, I just don't, but... Eric. I just don't know. Like I don't know if I can trust Caleb Martin to continue doing this. This is a guy who has averaged nine point six points per game this year. This is a guy who is a 36% three-point shooter. Now, let's keep in mind, that's with Hero, who is a high-usage player. So he's not around. Obviously, a guy like Martin is going to get more minutes, going to get more touches. But against the Knicks, or let's start with Milwaukee first. He he averaged 11.2 points per game in the series, 43% from three. Shot pretty well. But still, like 11 points per game against the Knicks. 10.5 10.5 points per game. He shot 36% from three. Not bad. Again, that's about what his average was, was on, were on the year from three up, up a point. And against Boston, he had at least 14 points in every game. He, he had 19.3 points per game. He shot 49% from three on 6.4 attempts. 
He had 6.4 rebounds also in 35 minutes. This is a guy in the play-in games against the Hawks, the game they lost, no points in 25 minutes. Gabe yeah. Vincent, who's been awesome, had six points in that game. So in that yeah. game combined, him and Vincent had six total. In the play-in game against the Bulls, Martin had six points and Vincent had zero. And that leads me into one of my series bets. Um, I found you could, and I bet this for Caleb Martin to average under 15.4 points. Um, You mentioned all that. Another thing that kind of stood out is in round one, he averaged six shots a game. Round two, eight shots a game. Round three, that jumped all the way up to 12.6 shots per game. I really think with Malone sitting back, he's like, dude, this Martin guy, we got to stop him because Boston is just leaving him open for three. And all those threes, they weren't him creating. Those were him getting open looks with Missoula being stubborn and not adjusting. I really think it's going to be interesting to me who starts out on Martin. Do they start Gordon on him? Because they don't want Martin to get going because that's going to be the guy. can shoot over KCP. That's going to be the spark butt. And then also they have Bruce Brown. I think Denver's got better wing defenders. Yeah. Kind of lost in the mix. I have from a pretty credible dude that it looks like Hero is going to be coming back game three. If Hero comes back game three, who does that affect? That affects Martin a great deal. Mm -hmm. That's going to affect his minutes, shot attempts. The ball's not going to be moving as much. So I really like Martin under, under series yeah, stuff. Under series average 15.4. And also for game one, I bet him to score under 16 and a half points. So I'm going to be really looking to fade Caleb Martin just because Malone Malone's going to be like, dude, like we can't let this guy go off. This guy is like, this guy should have won the Eastern Conference player, player of the player of the Eastern Conference final player of the series or MVP or whatever. We need to stop this guy. We need to check this guy. We need to keep this guy in the loop. So I'm going to, I think that's going to be a good guy for the shot regression. Um, you know, we always kind of, we always kind of talk about, um, you know, I, I definitely think another bet I'm looking to lock in for the series. Um, I, and this one is a little funky to me. KCP to average more than 2.1 made threes a game. Just hear me out here. Okay. Hear me out. Um, his shooting percentage has from three has gotten better every single round. 36.4%, 41.7%, His shot attempts, four, four, he's up to 6.8 three-point attempts against the Lakers. And then also we need to remember with the way Miami is going to play, like they played all regular season, they leave the off guard open for a lot of threes. Think of how many threes Jalen Brown, how many open looks Jalen Brown got for three, and he was one of the vocal he, points. Well, he's gonna have oh. all of the all of the open shots in the world, yeah. and because yeah. like you said, they're gonna try to take out Jokic yeah. and Murray, and and well, you let you live with KCP beating you. This guy has experience in the finals. He's an NBA champ. He was huge for the Lakers all throughout that run. He knows his role. And honestly, I think that 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 series against the Lakers was just really big for him, even mentally, just such a confidence boost going in there against the team that really like helped his career. KCP was kind of floundering after he left Denver. He came to the Lakers. The Lakers overpaid him for a couple years when they were really bad and they had a lot of the young guys. And KCP sort of struggled because his role was that of a guy who needed to be more of a scorer 
like a lead scorer and that's not really him. Like you don't want him really putting the ball on the on the on the ground and having to make a ton of decisions. As soon as he got put into the role of really good 3 and D guy, man, it is just he, he just knows what he's supposed to do and now he was able to go and beat his old buddies in the team where he had the most success before. I think KCP is a great play. And that's that's not even as much as you as you think because what's nice is he has one game at home where he hits five threes and now all of a sudden for average you're you're and in great shape. KCP on three days rest or more shoots an absurd sixty percent from three. We saw we've seen it a couple of times this playoff series against the game against Phoenix where they had multiple days rest more than Phoenix. I think they had four days rest. Ten days out. Ten days off for Denver. Teams with five or more days rest off um, in the finals at home, eight and one straight up. And Miami had that seven game series, game seven on the road at Boston. Now they got to turn around and head to Denver with the elevation there. Now, I, w- I want to give a couple real positive things about Miami because in this matchup, it might be tough for them. And you know what? Miami has surprised everybody. They win this. It's going to be Spo, Butler, and a great team effort. If they get swept 4-0, it wouldn't surprise me, and anything in between wouldn't. But I do think Denver just has a lot of real advantages here. One of the things that Miami's been doing that's incredible, and you, you have to do two things, though, Eric. You have to give it all the credit in the world, but you have to also think that it's probably not going to continue. Based on the second spectrum uh, information, in the playoffs, Miami ranks 15th of 16 teams based on their shot quality. But they're third in efficiency because they're overperforming more than any team in the playoffs, meaning they're making more shots that they normally miss than anyone else. More difficult shots, more kind of low percentage shots, but they've continued to hit them over and over. And that's one of those things like, when you have a 36% shooter like Caleb Martin shooting 49%, is it more likely that he's going to shoot 49% Eric, or just come back to the 36 where he was? He's going to come back to the median. I mean, that's another one of my point one, another one that factors for placing one of those bets. I mean, they're due for shot regression. It's coming. Um, you know, another thing you mentioned the game one thing, um, you know, since 2003 teams that had a game seven are 29% ATS in game one. I mean, so I, I locked in the seven and a half. When right away. You, you told everybody yeah. to do this a few days and ago on our I last would, uh, show. I would take the eight and a half. Um, two, I have two other futures. I just want to touch on Please. number one. Um, obviously one book had Joker at plus plus one forty to have the most points. Um, now my thought process is this, you know, I have from, the guy I talked to told me straight up that he are just going to let Joker get his and focus on stopping Murray. If that's the case, yep. I mean, to me at plus money, that just makes sense. Yep. Um, these books have these out after every game. If I lock that in and then it gets absurd, I could put a little bit on say Butler or maybe a Porter Jr. Someone that could fill it up. So, but I like that plus plus one forty from Joker a lot. And my last one is, and this is a wild card, Michael Porter Jr. to have the most made three-pointers at plus 380. 
Um, his last two games against the Lakers, he got up 10 shots from three. Um, Murray only got up, he got up, he got up 15, was it seven and a half? You know, if you take out that 14, um, game two where Murray shot 14 and had that historic third quarter, Porter was a better three point shooter than Murray was. And if the Intel I'm being told is correct and they're going to take away Murray and they're going to let the other guys beat him, like, you got it. Yep. Is, is looking pretty good at plus 380, um, especially when the Heat are due for shot regression. And Jamal Murray is minus 140 for that. So I like that. I also think, um, you know, Kyle came on my show uh, last night, Tuesday night, and he he made a case for, for playing Porter to be the MVP. Um, it's at 200 to 1. And his case is this. He was a walking double-double the last game. And they're that's going to be the guy they kind of let, you know what I mean? That's going to be the guy that Absolutely. they let open. So you can't take everybody away. You just can't. You have to focus on Jokic. You have to Jokic. You have to focus on Murray. And it's going to be the KCPs and the Porter Juniors who get all the opportunities. KCP is a little bit. KCP is more like we said. He's a he's more of a role player. We forget that Michael Porter Jr. was the best player of his age group coming out of high school before he had some of the physical problems. And then even since we've seen this guy be a fill it up, light it up type guy. That's what's, what's really great about Denver's team too, like how they're slotted in because Jokic is a great number one. Like you line him up against anyone else's number one. He's right there. Jamal Murray is a really solid number two. Like you stack him up against other teams, second best players. He fits well. And then following that, you've got like Porter jr who's probably like an overqualified three, he could go to bad teams and score 28 points a game, right? He could be one of those guys that just fills it up. The problem that he's always had was physically staying healthy, back problems. Could he be that type of guy? You have a guy like Gordon who was always supposed to be better than this, and now he's like your fourth option. And then KCP, like everybody fits and fills their role so perfect. Right. Nobody has to be kind of overqualified. We talk about this in football a lot of the time. If you're a wide receiver two and your wide receiver one is out, and then you got to be a wide receiver one for a while, everyone just kind of assumes that you're going to be getting a bunch more fantasy points. But sometimes it's the opposite, right, Eric? Because you don't have that number one guy to take away. Yeah. All, like all the attention from you and, and leave you open. And you got to run these different routes that you're not used to. It's sort of what I was saying with KCP. He's in such a great spot here. Aaron Gordon's in a great spot. And Porter Jr. gets to be that third guy that they don't need every night. But as soon as you start forgetting about him and you put a little too much pres- presence on Jokic or or Murray, he's just going to eat you alive. And the thing we need to remember is he's 6'10". So I mentioned how small Miami is. He's going to be able to shoot over a he's- lot of guys. His defense was imp- impressed me in the series against the Lakers. And I'm, I'm not acting like he's a defensive stopper, but w- what you pointed out is key. He's just big. So he's a guy that's – when you're a guy that ha- that's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, 6'10", six, if you can just move your feet, put your hands up, and give effort, you're not going to be horrible defensively. 
Because guys aren't going to be able to shoot over you. They can't really body you. And at least if they get by him, there's another big body of Jokic down there. And he has a couple other really solid team defenders in Gordon and KCP out there. And then you bring Brown in sometimes. So I was I was actually very impressed with him because he and Murray were spots where I felt like the Lakers should have been able to have a little bit more of an advantage. And those guys didn't let them. Like you saw what the Lakers players were able to do to Clay and Steph and Jaw and Bain and some really good offensive guards that just aren't that great defensively. And Murray, you know, and and Porter Jr., who's not as much of a guard, right? He's, he's a forward, but he's on the perimeter a lot of the time. Those guys were impressed me a lot, Eric. They really did. And that's why Denver's still here because every night they understand what their role is. Porter Jr. sort of knows okay, I don't, I'm not the number one on offense. I can give a little bit more on defense now because I, energy-wise, I've got enough in the tank to do that. Yeah, yeah, he's the steps he's made this year. But, I mean, also that goes back to Malone. Malone had him Completely on a really agree. important lease where he would, if he effed up, he took them out and yep. he started to realize that. And he's kind of... Not as many bad shots. Like, yeah, not as many only, bad shots. Only if he's those. hit a couple. Like, he'll do a heat check if he's hit a few and and you live with that, but he's rarely just coming down and firing up just bad, bad shots. No. And I still think like, if you listen to Gino and I, I mean, I was just living on the Michael Porter double, double and it was rebounding man. Yeah. Consistently priced at over five, over five to one. Because what the Lakers did, there's like exactly what we keep pointing out. Your bigs have to put so much attention on Jokic. Yeah, who's there, especially once Jokic kind of stretches you out a little bit or when you're defending him and you're boxing him out, you're left with a 6'10 guy like Porter and another big like Gordon and Miami just doesn't size up with them like that. They don't have the personnel. You know what? I just found it. I'm going to put in Porter at plus 410 to have a double-double. Game one. Game one. Just because I like that. Tired legs. Yeah, tired legs, rebounding great. Um, you know, he's going to get a lot of open looks. So, yeah. I mean, basically, basically, if Denver loses game one and Caleb Martin goes off, it's going to be, I'm going to be a bitter guy on Tuesday, on Friday, excuse me. So, uh, one more thing uh, to mention about these teams, just sort of the road they had to get here. They both really did earn it to get to this NBA Finals. First up, you had Miami who had to play two play-in games. They were down in the fourth quarter with like five minutes left to go in the play-in game, came back, won that. Then they beat the number one seed, Milwaukee, who was the betting favorite to win the NBA championship. Then they go on the road. They beat Tibbs and the Knicks, who were kind of a, a buzzworthy team coming off a really good series against Cleveland and you got to go and play at Madison Square Garden they beat them and then they go and play the second betting favorite to win the NBA championship they beat the top two betting choices on the road to get there everything on the road for Miami so you win a play-in game then you beat Milwaukee then you beat the Knicks then you beat Boston shout out to them um you know beating the last couple Eastern Conference finals teams and then on Denver's side round one they beat Ant Towns and Gobert then in round two they go through Kevin Durant and Booker who had incredible series and then in round three they go and beat LeBron and AD who the last time those guys were healthy they won a title 
and they haven't lost a whole lot in the playoffs when LeBron and AD have been healthy and have been together, man. This was very impressive for both of these teams to get here. You sort of look at it sometimes and, you know, had Boston gotten to this point, their road wouldn't have been nearly as tough as Miami's, you know, what, what fell for them. So these two teams really did earn it, Eric. It's been fun to, to go on the, on the road and on this journey along with them. And now we're all set for the NBA finals. Anything else you want to mention? Oh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm sitting on a Nuggets 20 to one ticket and the Nuggets over the heat 60 to one ticket. Hopefully uh, the Nuggies can get it done for me. Eric, thank you so much, buddy. Come hang out with me and Eric. Anytime there's an NBA game, we will be previewing it live. We'll be doing game one on Thursday, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. We'll talk about individual bets for that game, any type of player props, anything else that jumps out to us. Don't forget a couple things to mention real quickly. If you are in the state of Iowa, take a look at DRF Sportsbook. This is the place we were looking at the, uh, the betting lines for. Eric and I actually have a promo code that you can – Get a $1,000 deposit match when you use the promo code FAST1000. Sign up now if you're in the state of Iowa. And if you're a fantasy sports fan, take a look at the website thrivefantasy.com. Peruse it a little bit. You can play head-to-head contests. You can play contests against 100 others, or you can wager on props. You can actually legally wager on props if you're in the state of California, Texas, because it falls under contest format when you parlay them. You just got to put two props together in a parlay. You can make a wager from a dollar all the way up to a thousand. Thrivefantasy.com. And when you get to that website, use our promo code Gino, G I N O. It'll get you a match deposit bonus from 25 all the way up to 250. Eric, good luck, buddy, with all your NBA plays. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow and anytime there's an NBA game. racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use drf with drf.com and the newly optimized drf mobile you can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. 
every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Daily horse racing contest, StableDuel.com. Download the app and on your phones or anywhere you, you get your apps. And then you can play in contests every single day for different racetracks, all sorts of different format contests, different style entry fees. We tell you all about them. And we give you our best bets. We help you build contests. And heck, even if you're not necessarily playing in the Stable Duel contest this, that, those weeks, you should come and watch our show every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. It's on Twitter. If you follow me, it's me, Gino B. Or if you follow at Stable Duel, it's myself, Barry Spears, and Matt DeSantis. And we go over our best bets for Friday and for Saturday at all the tracks that have Stable Duel games. So we usually are talking about Santa Anita. Gulfstream this weekend going to be a little Penn National. Del Mar is going to be in the mix uh, when they start soon in uh, what just about six weeks or so. Stable duel, get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's get to some Friday racing. First up, it's Santa Anita. I recorded this segment a little bit earlier on um, on social media, so you can actually look at the past performances if you want to go check it out as well. Santa Anita, Anita Friday best bets. Another week of racing ahead at Santa Anita. Let's talk about Friday racing at Santa Anita. Like always, I'm looking at the daily racing form, past performances, drf.com, the place to go anytime you need help researching. And then DRF bets when you want to go make a wager on uh, any of these races. So let's just kind of run through the the card on Friday and uh, some of my thoughts. I was hoping for a little bit better price in race number one on the five and it doesn't look like we're going to get it. So I'll just keep an eye on where uh, California Bay ends up. I thought his debut was, was pretty good. He missed a break. He was about eight, 10 lengths off or so. And then he moved through inside and he, he was kind of tipped out some really nice late energy for fourth and a big, big gallop out. And there's a lot of turf, like solid turf runners in this pedigree. The dam didn't win on the grass, but was actually pretty competitive on it. And then when you dive into a lot of the direct siblings, you just see a ton of winners up and down here. Horses with really good turf success. We have, you know, Warden Jerry was an eight-time winner on the turf. Tamarando was a classy horse, didn't win on the grass, but was good on the synthetic. Luckerack was very good. Tamarack, Smarty, really solid on the turf. Unarak, really good. Look at this turf. 
pedigree. So we can expect California Bay to be a nice horse on the grass. And I think he will enjoy stretching out here, going longer, because that's what you see from all the pedigree too. All siblings that are long on the turf, that's where they had their best success. Three to one's a tad short. He's probably going to be even shorter than that. If he's anywhere near three to one, that's fair. I just, I wanted a little bit more than that. Then we're probably going to get from uh, as far as the price is concerned. In the second race, Santa Anita, $20,000 claimers here. There were a couple that I, I thought were interesting. And the one that I'll probably play would be the five indie star based on the price here. This is a four-year-old filly who's going to return to the dirt. She was over at Turf Paradise on the turf most recently, and she's been running really well going a little bit longer, going a mile and seven and a half furlongs. You'll notice, though, when she's been on the dirt, her last couple of dirt races were also very good. Going a mile, she won impressively by seven and a quarter lengths. Going five and a half furlongs, she moved and then finished second in that race, and it was not bad at all. So I think she's just a better horse now than where she was earlier on in her career. And I like the fact that she's going to be able to cut back here, drawn on the outside. That should give her some options because she has speed, but I don't think she's probably going to be on the lead in here sprinting on the dirt with the two inside horses they're both probably a little bit faster than her um henny's crazy train and, and bella ranella so i'd love to see indy star sitting third on the outside cutting back with a little more fitness we've seen that she can sit off and pass horses if need be look at the five for a long turf sprint at canterbury where she came from off the pace i'd love to see something like that but maybe even sitting a little closer in here the number five indies star is five to one on the morning line. We need like around four. I wouldn't want to take much shorter than that on her. Let's go to the third race. Again, it's not the biggest field in the world. There are two horses that I think are intriguing. Doesn't look like there's that much speed. So Cane Creek Road could be tough if he's ready to rock. Last we saw him was on August the 27th in a race where he was claimed, but the claim was voided. And prior to that, he was off for a few months so there's not a lot of recent form for him he should be the horse to catch by far the one i think is the play is the five red line because red line could be sitting just behind cane creek road now it looks like cane creek road is much faster but red line's actually coming out of some really quick sprint races where they've been going way faster to the first quarter into the half mile and i think red line will be much more forwardly placed in here. If you look at the only time on the page that we've seen Redline go longer, he was sitting second, much closer up. I think we're going to get that here, especially with a, a rider like Vasquez, who's very aggressive. Now, Redline's turf races have been very good. Overall, turf form has been excellent. Just look at his recent form. He's been second in three of his last four races. When he wasn't second, it was in a first level allowance race where he had some legitimate trouble at the start. And the race has actually come back strong and come back live because we've seen Noble Reflection come out of that race to win and then went over and tried the grade two turf sprint and was only was only beaten a couple lengths in that race was fourth and ran really well. Uh, Forgiving Spirit is a horse who put together a couple victories and was in nice form and then recently was a close up fourth in a first level allowance race. I think red line is well spotted sits second in here, just behind Cane Creek road hopes that Cane Creek road gets a little bit short coming off the bench, red line exiting a very strong race where we've seen a couple horses 
already come back to win next time out. Strike that, came back to win their next start. Took charge, came back to win their next start. Small field, but perhaps we can get a decent price in here on Redline, who's 5-1. to one. I take anything over 7-2 to two on Redline. Let's continue along at Santa Anita on Friday. Let's move to the fifth race. That's where we were next in the fifth. So I'm going to look to the number six in here, Miss Polo Bar. Career debut, shows good speed right on the front end, fades, finishes fourth, not a bad effort, beating a couple lengths. Let's take a look at the second start. This one was on April the 21st, the last time that she ran. And she's the number eight in here. I thought it was kind of a weird race because she has a good start. She's drawn to the outside here. Again, she's fast. So we know she has speed because, look, she's right on the lead. The problem is she can't get over when there's three other horses that are all showing speed and the seven was equally as quick as her, you know, in the second and third spots. So now she ends up taking back a little bit, and it looks like Miss Polo Bar is sitting a perfect trip. She's sitting fourth here, but she ends up kind of backing up even more a bit. She's about four lengths off, still in a fine spot. She's out in the two path. What ends up happening is she gets caught down to the inside. So now as she's moving up outside, she's able to get to the rail, and it, it puts her in a, in a tough spot. Because right now you see the eight. She's looming up into third. She's on the inside. She's up into contention. She doesn't have anywhere to go right here. She kind of tries to move to the inside, but she can't get through. She sort of has to take up, wait, wait. Now there's a little bit more room, so she sort of stays there. But she lost her momentum when it was really building up nicely. And for a lot of horses, it's really tough to re-rally and come on again. You can see she just sort of keeps up to that one-paced run. But I, I think... She lost her best chance. I wouldn't be shocked if she shows a little more speed here because we've seen that from her before. She's now going to be a little fitter with the two races under her. I think it's a good spot for Miss Polo Bar, who we've seen she can pass some horses and sort of loom up, but she also has speed. The number six, Miss Polo Bar, six to one on the morning line. I would take anything over four, four plus or so. Let's look at Santa Anita. The rest of the card, I couldn't really find big value. Every horse that I was really looking at or thought was going to be pretty tough is probably going to be a shortish price. Everly's girl, I thought looks like the one to beat on the cutback. Maybe a horse that you build some exotics around. I probably don't be a big enough price for me to bet individually. Seventh race, I sort of felt similar. It looks like a good spot for real fire. I just want a little more than we're going to get on her from a price standpoint. The April 22nd race was really good. And then she just got hooked wide on May the 7th. She was four wide. She was within two lengths. She was about fifth. And she was just behind the top group. But the winner of that race saved all the ground and tipped out. But you know, before that May 7th race, if we're looking at either of the two sprint races, they'd be very good. And they would fit really well with these. Gritty Girl, Perfect's Pride, Professor's Pride, Paleo's Princess in here. It looks like there's enough speed. You got the one. You've got the seven should be forwardly placed. The eight should be. So this race will set up better for a horse like Real Fire. It's just, again, are we getting enough value for the horse who I think is is really well spotted? I wouldn't want to take any shorter than seven to two. So there's a little look at Santa Anita for 
Friday. I think there was one horse in the eighth race, or was it the ninth? Was it, no, I guess it was the ninth that I, I can at least mention if you're uh, playing any type of late exotics. I do think that Keen to Go is a horse who I may, if I was playing any sort of late exotics, I might single this horse on one ticket. Coming into the Jeff Mullins barn, this is a first-time gelding who comes off of a, a race that was a, a strange race where they went really, really fast. He's actually come out of some races where they've gone very, very quick going longer. And the mile and eighth is no problem for this guy. He just needs a little bit of help up front. Needs a little bit of pace. I think he will get that in here. Keen to go. We'll be building some exotics around there. So look at Friday Santa Anita. Remember, drf.com daily racing form is the place to go for all of your past performances. If you sign up for DRF bets and you deposit, 250, they'll give you a match deposit bonus plus a $10 free bet. Use that promo code winning and you can get these formulator past performances for free. What they'll do is they'll give you 10 of them right off the bat. And then every time you bet 50, you get another free formulator card. Check out all the details there. Good luck this weekend at Santa Anita. Best of luck on Friday over at Santa Anita. Let's move on over to Penn National. Before we do, we'll talk a little bit about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, Cindy Carava. And that means she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors if you need help with home improvement, gardeners, landscapers, painters. Maybe you need help with the loan process. She can connect you with the right type of lenders that will help expedite that and make it so much easier for you. Because that's what her job is, just to make your life easier, to make sure she takes care of all the little details that you may not be thinking about when you're relocating, when you're moving, when you're selling your home, anything you need in that department. Go to her website, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, cindycarava.com. Dot com. That's the website, Full Service Realtor. Big night at Penn National, six stakes races on the card, the grade two Penn Mile. I have a couple plays to look at, a couple 10 to one shots on the morning line. Let's see if we can get that value and let's, tell, uh, let's take a look at why we like these ones. Big night on Friday over at Penn National, six stakes races, uh, the grade two Penn Mile, big money up for grabs and some legitimately good horses that are going to be shipping out for the big races. I've got a couple plays on the card. There are three horses I like that are all 10 to one on the morning line. Let's see if we can uh, find some value on this Friday card. I'm looking at the past performances at DRF daily racing form. I'm looking at the formulator past performances. You know, you can get these for free when you create a DRF bets account. So when you're wagering, with DRF bets, every time you wager 50 bucks, you get another free credit for one of these formulator past performance cards. Let's go to the fourth race. It's $100,000 stakes. It's for Pennsylvania Reds going a mile and a 16th on the turf course here. I'm looking at the number seven, CRISPR. Now, some things we can, uh, we can look at with this newly turned four-year-old. His turf form overall is excellent. You can glance pretty quickly at his running style and see, though, that he's, he's a closer. So it makes it a little more difficult for him to win a lot of races. You see seconds and thirds and minor awards because he just doesn't have as much speed as some others. They get the jump on him almost every time. I like the fact that he's now four, couple months, a couple months. He hasn't raced since December. So we're talking six months off now for him to grow up and mature. This is a barn that's certainly capable with horses coming off of a layoff like this. We can take a look at the formulator database here. We can go to customize the statistics and we can take a look at 
layoffs for the barn. So we can see 61 to 180 day layoff. How well does this barn do with layoffs like this? They've had success. You know, three for 20, it's a small sample size. These are small numbers, but this is a barn that can get the right horse to win off a particular layoff. What I like is CRISPR himself has one off a layoff, 140 day layoff. When he broke his maiden, it was in June. He hadn't run from January 18th to June. The layoff was very similar to this one. And it was his first start on the turf. It was five to one. And he came from about four, three or four lengths off and won nicely. It's a little bit easier sometimes for horses with his running style to make their first start off the bench because with him, he's going to be taking back and sort of loping along at the back of the pack and then make one late run. He's really going to be running hard for about a quarter mile of the race. When you're a speed horse, you actually have to be running hard throughout the entire race, dealing with pressure a little bit more. I like CRISPR in here, just seeing how it shapes up. Could get some speed from DJ. We could get some speed from Caddy's uncle. Get some speed from by land and sea. Nice ace. And he's a mess. Could see all of them flashing speed. These, these horses to the outside too that are sort of pressers, they could be forced a little bit from out here. I think it sets up well for the number seven. CRISPR, 10 to one on the morning line. Let's move right next door. Race number five is the Penn Oaks. And it's $150,000 stakes for three-year-old fillies on the turf. I like the number eight in here, Selenia. So she debuted at Saratoga. She was only seven to one that day. And she had legitimate trouble back in September on September the 4th. She goes over to the Meadowlands meet on the turf. She wins. She breaks her maiden that day. She looked good doing it. She got a nice trip. Then on May the 10th, I was extremely impressed with that effort at Indiana. So this is her first start since September on May 10th. So it was her first start as a three-year-old. She hasn't run in what, nine months. And she has some early traffic. She gets shuffled back to eighth. She's about five or six lengths off on the inside, but you could tell she's full of run. She's just trapped behind horses. She's inside. She has nowhere to go. And then she gets a great opening up the inside. She explodes. She actually geared down late. Visually, really, really impressive. I don't know who she's faced or what she's beat so far, but I do know she's got some ability. And they're going to give her the acid test here and see where she stacks up. The number eight, Selenia. Selenia? Ayaya? I never know how to say it, but I want to say anything for Salinas, the number eight, 10 to one on the morning line. That's a look at race number five at 10 for Friday night. 10 mile is the sixth race, which is right next door. I don't really have a strong opinion in there. I, I think it's probably going to be pretty formful. Major dude will, will be tough. You have candidate who wouldn't shock me and behind enemy lines. I just don't think either any of them are going to provide quite enough value. But I do have one more to look at. This is in race number eight. So we're looking at a six furlong dirt sprint for Pennsylvania bred fillies. The horse I like is the five. And this is a filly who's actually faced the boys and who's faced open company in both of her starts. So this race is against Pennsylvania breds. She's defeated open company. The number five simply stated in her debut on August the 11th, she beats open breads. She wins here at Penn. 
And then she's off from August all the way to May. She shows back up in May on May the 6th, and she's in a race against the boys and again against Open Company. She has a good start. She was right with the leaders. She got shuffled inside to fourth. She was about two lengths off. The winner that day, Mo Beer, went gate to wire, and this gal was showing some good late energy. Now she moves in with Pennsylvania-bred fillies after facing Open Company and the boys. This is a big drop in class. For simply stated, second start off the short break. She has that nice running style where she can sit close. Who in this race scares you when you look at the rest of this field? Hunting Coco comes out of some good races, but it's not as if she's overwhelming. Down towards the inside, you have Tappan Josie who likes to win, but like on speed figures and stuff, she's not necessarily terrifying. Simply stated, number five, who is 10 to one on the morning line. Couple plays. On a big night at Penn National, Friday night. Anytime you're looking to play the races, DRF.com is the place to play. If you sign up for a DRF Bets account right now, and they're offering you a, a great promotion to do so, you can actually get these past performances for free. Because every time you stack up $50 wagered, you get another credit for a formulator card. They give you 10 of them right away when you do this uh, deposit match bonus. Good luck at Penn on Friday. Hope everyone has a great weekend playing the races. Okay, let's start bouncing around to Saturday racing. We've got a lot of ground to cover on Saturday. First up, Churchill Downs. It's what they call the Stephen Foster Preview Day. Bunch of stakes races all throughout the card. There are a few that jumped out at me. Let's sort of talk our way through from the fifth on. In the grade three, Regret at Churchill on Saturday. It's a mile and an eighth on the turf. Both the two and the three, Girl Named Charlie and Mission of Joy, had pretty tough trips in the Edgewood. Girl Named Charlie was completely blocked, never had a shot. Mission of Joy was also behind horses, almost goes down, still able to angle around and fly late. I would keep an eye on Girl Named Charlie because if she's a much better price, that's the direction you have to go. She's 5-1 to on the morning line. If you're playing multi-race exotics, I would include Mission of Joy as well. You know, it's a short field, so it'll come down to, to you know, pace. Like, is the one going to get loose or are other horses going to be putting a little more pressure on them? Because I don't think a horse like Mission of Joy has to be that far back. Miss Astor, I, I thought she may have been turning the corner, but I'm not sure if she's quite this level. I'll use two, girl named Charlie, on top of the uh, the three there in the fifth. Race number six is the Aristides. It's a fun little sprint race. It's not a big field. But you can honestly make a case for any one of them. You have Sibelius and Gunite, who are both returning from Dubai. Gunite was in Saudi Arabia and then went to Dubai and finished second and third in those big races. Sibelius won the Dubai Golden Shaheen. Usually you want to play against these horses in their first start back. And Bango is so good at Churchill. He's a 10-time winner at Churchill Downs. And he has some versatility. He can sit close. He can also pass horses if need be. I thought Srava making the second start at four kind of interesting here. I would look at the four and the five in this race to build some exotics around there. Seventh race at Churchill is the Audubon. I like the number five Desert Dukes, five to one on the morning line. This is a mile and an eighth turf race for three-year-olds, and it just does not seem like there's all that much early speed. The one Lazarus is coming out of a dirt sprint, and he did show a little bit of early pace there. I don't know if he if that was more so because it was just a much lower level. That was against $20,000 maiden claimers. Now he gets, you know, stepped up here and tries the turf for the first time. I think Desert Duke is going to be either 
on the lead or right there close to it and get the jump on some of the horses like like Webslinger, the deeper closers in here. Webslinger's super talented. He won the American Turf last time out. Uh, he killed me when uh, when he beat Far Bridge in that one. Talk of the Nation scratched. I don't know what to do with Mendelssohn's March, so I'll, I'll use a lot of uh, Desert Duke in here. I think I'm just going to build a lot of the uh, the exotics there around uh, around the Duke five to one. Eighth race, it's the Shawnee Frostpoint. To me, just feels like the now horse because the horse like. Pauline's Pearl isn't in the best of form and is probably going to be a lot shorter than she should be uh, whether or not she wins so not too much that I really love there the Arlington is race number nine mile and a 16th on the turf does look like it should set up pretty well for the outside too you have get smoking who's fast classic Causeway's fast Tiberius Mercury Tiberius Mercurius wants to be close Harlan Estate wants to be close then you have Royal Patronage who can sit and pass, and you have Set Piece, who is a stone-cold closer. So I would use the 6 and the 7 in the exotics there in race number 9. The 10th race is another graded stakes, or it is the grade 3 blame, a mile and an 8th. I think the intriguing horse in here is Santin, just because I don't know how good any of these really are, but Rattle and Roll and Masquerade, solid horses. Matt, Rattle and Roll's in really nice form. He's won four of his last six races and two in a row. You have Mask Parade, who has shown that he's capable of some really big efforts. He was second in, or third in the Jim Dandy. He's your Ohio Derby winner. I do think Santin, if he is six to one or over, may be worth a flyer. Because, you know, he's not in as good a form as he was last year. I didn't really love the effort in the Turf Classic. I thought his Kentucky Club Classic, he had legitimate trouble that day after he missed the break. But I feel like overall, as a horse, he might be better than most of these. And it'll just come down to surface. This is a surface that he's worked over and that he knows. So if he's, you know, 6-1+, to one plus, I throw him into some of the exotics along with the two inside horses. The one and the two. There's a look at Churchill Downs for Saturday, a big day for them. Stephen Foster preview day. So uh, a lot of these horses you'll see running back again and uh, running in different stakes races and on the next big day over at Churchill. Let's move from Churchill to Belmont. Two races at Belmont I was looking at on Saturday towards the back end of the card. Look at races 7 and 9. In the seventh race, it's a mile. It's a mile and a sixteenth on the turf. Three-year-olds and up. Maiden special weight. Let's go to the number sixteen here. Ohana Honor. This one's damn one twice on the turf, so it wasn't a surprise to see when she went to the turf. She actually ran what was her career best race based on speed figures. She had a fine start. She was taken back inside. She was about four length off. She was in the fourth flight though. So, you know, she had some traffic trouble because the horses in front of her stop and then she's just sitting there waiting and waiting and she started to get going, but she had to hesitate up the inside. She had to alter course off the rail, just looking for room. I thought it was a really good effort from Ohana Honor. She's eight to one on the morning line in race number seven. Anything around five will make a win wager on her. The ninth race is the grade two Pennon Ridge. Not the... Six horse Kalik was a bit interesting in here. Far Bridge, I needed so bad last time. We just mentioned him a minute ago. So he, I'm sure he'll win this race easily. But it just doesn't look like there's that much early speed. So I feel like Kalik, 
who went wire to wire last time out, two starts back showed that he doesn't need the lead. He can absolutely sit off if he has to. And his grass races, all three of them have been very good. He was just a different horse going long on the turf. Feels like a good spot for Kalik making his third start of the form cycle. Lots of little things to like. 7-2 on the morning line, a horse so I could build exotics around there. A look at Saturday at Belmont Park. Good luck there. Just a week out from the Belmont Stakes. We'll have lots of coverage and a couple different guests helping us out with, I think, probably Friday and Saturday Belmont races and some of the big undercard stakes races. Saturday, Santa Anita. Again, those pick'em contests. They're free. Are you someone who likes to play the races? You also like to kick back and watch sports? Check these out. They're free contest, 12 questions. Half of them are about the races at Santa Anita. Half of them are about different sports that are happening that weekend. Whatever those big games or events are, those questions are about those. They're prop-based questions. So this weekend, Saturday, there will be a lot of baseball stuff, Dodgers, Yankees. And then Sunday, you'll get some NBA Finals questions along with some of the races from Santa Anita. So let's take a look at Santa Anita's opening race on June the 3rd, Saturday. I like the number two in there, JD's Rude Boy. This horse should send hard, and I, I think he's the one to catch in here. Just looking at the rest of the field, there is just nobody who's shown any sort of proven speed, and this is a sprint race. JD's Rude Boy has shown legitimate sprint speed. Last time out, he was right on the lead on the dirt. His two best races have been in sprints. He can pass horses also. It's not as if he's a horse who just needs the lead. I think he's going to get it in here. Uh, a couple siblings that won on turf. JD's Rude Boy. Hard to be negative on his turf races because they were longer. Maybe he just wanted to go shorter on the grass. Is he a cut below some of these others? Yes, he's a cow bred and some of the others come out of better races where they've faced a little bit tougher company, but he could have the advantage of being lone speed in here. The number two, JD's Rude Boy, who is 8-1 to one on the morning line. Let's move to a little later on the card at Santa Anita. We go to race number eight. And this one is, first let's go to the seventh race, actually. the It's a maiden special weight race, six and a half on the turf. The number five, Neon Lights. Oh, I need this horse so bad last time out. He had a good start, sat third, was getting a perfect trip. Two horses were battling on the lead. He was about four lengths or so behind them. Then he starts to roll. He angles around. And right when he's picking up his best turn of foot, the horse one of the two horses in front of him starts backing up and tiring and like sh- like shifts out and like darts out right in front of neon lights this horse has to take up angle around move to the inside and just misses by a nose if the horse that was tiring doesn't completely impact him he wins easily got to use him all over the three petkoff is interesting his damn one on the turf and his only sibling to try it one on it he didn't really fire in his debut but that was a quick race sprinting at Gulfstream, and now he comes over to the Yakteen Barn. Park City on the outside makes sense, but to me, the five's the horse to beat in there. The eighth race is the Summertime Oaks. It's a grade two. I like the number two window shopping. This Phillies de- uh, win, her debut was really good. She had a brutal trip. It's, it's better than it looks on paper. It was a maiden special weight race going a mile on the turf, but that was back in November. So she's off from November to March. She shows back up in March. She wins a race that was taken off the turf and just crushes a field. She wins by 16 lengths. Comes back on April the 8th. 
She's in the Santa Anita Oaks. She's inside. She's in traffic when she's traveling really well, and then she just has nowhere to go. A horse who's in front of her tiring stops badly right in front of her. She has to completely take up, back up, loses a few lengths, loses all momentum, and then comes on again to just miss second. She was never going to win that race, but I think the price of 5-1 to one is very, very fair on her in here. Window shopping, the number 2, anything over 7-2, to two, we're going to play her. We move to race number 9, I like the 5. It's a $32,000 claimer going a mile on the turf. And Growth Engine only has two races on the turf, but they were sandwiched by a long layoff. So, And keep in mind, prior to that was another long layoff. The issue with Growth Engine, he's just had a tough time recently staying on track. He raced three times in 2020, and then twice in 2021, once in 2022, and he's only raced once so far in 2023. But with horses like this, the more they race, they really get into fitness level. Like one or two races can really help them get that stamina built back up. He bobbled at the start. Then he gets caught three wide going into the turn. He was three wide in the second fl uh, flight. He just ran like a horse who needed the race. He should have gained a lot of fitness out of that. His two races in 2021, they were both against Stakes Company. Before that, he's over at Monmouth and Saratoga running against really nice, like, top-level allowance horses. You start diving into his form overall, this is a, a horse who hasn't done a whole ton wrong in his career. He just, he's had some issues staying on track. He's 8-1 to one on the morning line. That's the number 5 growth engine. There's a look at Saturday at Santa Anita. Best of luck in your place at Santa Anita on Saturday. Now we move to Louisiana Downs. So we'll give you a few horses for Louisiana Saturday, Louisiana Sunday, and Louisiana Monday all together. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about Sarah Candles, our friends over there, C-E-R-A candles.com. All natural soy wax. If you love candles, give these a try. You won't use any other candles afterwards. They're better for you. They burn longer because of the soy wax. There's no toxins. There's no carcinogens. There's no pollutants. Nothing bad in that air that you're breathing in. Your family, your friends, your loved ones, your animals. You don't want everyone around there breathing in those toxins. When you use the promo code GINO, G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A, Candles.com. Louisiana Downs, Saturday, June the 3rd. Let's go to race number three. And I'm going to look at the number seven in here. That's Ego. This is a seven and a half furlong turf race. And Ego has not been on the turf for quite some time. But he's an eight-year-old who has very good turf form. And it's against way, way better horses. He's a three-time winner on the turf. He's an eight-time winner overall. Most of these horses are three-time winners overall, and they're in for the non-winners of four. That is not the case for uh, for this one. And Ego feels like he's going to get a great trip. Just looking at the way the race should shape up in here, Ego is going to get some pace to run at. I like the number seven, Ego. Back in the Carl Broberg barn, Carl Broberg is fantastic with horses off the claim, and this one he claims back, and he brings him right to the grass. This is a horse who's been running recently at Oaklawn before coming over to Louisiana last time out. Like the spot for Ego. 4-1. to one. 
We move to race number five at Louisiana on Saturday. It's a five furlong turf sprint. I like the number six in here, Osceola. This is the first time Gelding, whose career best races and speed figures came last year on the turf right here when he finished third. I think some of it has to do with the five furlongs. Just that much shorter trip is nicer for him. He's really quick, but he's also shown us that he can sit off the pace. This is a horse who got really good last year and that they threw in uh, the Louisiana Cup Sprint. The number six, Osceola, 9-2 on the morning line. One more in race number eight on Saturday at Louisiana. I am looking at a 15-1 to one shot on the morning line. It is the number eight, Marmo Moon. So this is a filly who is 0 for 6, and she's been on the turf twice. She's going to get back to the turf, and we look at if we look at her first two turf races, they weren't great on paper. She finished 5th and 8th. But if you look who she faced, in her career debut, she was behind a horse named Chop Chop. That one won their next race, a $500,000 stakes race at Kentucky Downs, then finished second in the Grade 1 Alcibiades, and was the favorite in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, Chop Chop. Then Marmo Moon lost to a horse named Navy Goat, who won a stakes race at Gulfstream Park on synthetic in her next start, and then was third in a $100,000 stakes race, the Ginger Brew. Marmo Moon faced legitimate horses in her first two races on the turf. And then she went over to Charlestown. She actually ran well. She finished second in a race when she had some trouble, and she it was on a sloppy racetrack. Following that, she was entered in a stakes race, and that sent her to the bench. She was off from October to March. Shows back up in March. She shows up at fairgrounds in a pretty tough maiden special weight race. Didn't really fire all that much on a good track at Evangeline. I think coming back to the turf is interesting for her because she's bred to be good on the turf. Her damn one on it. She has two winning siblings. She's now going to make her third start off the bench and her third start for this new barn. I'm going to give her one more shot at a big price. The number eight, Marmo Moon, who is 15 to one on the morning line. So there's a look at Saturday for Louisiana Downs. Let's dive over to Sunday for a couple plays at Louisiana. I'm going to take a look at June the 4th races one and eight for Louisiana Downs. Race number one at Louisiana on Sunday. I like the seven in here, O-Arcs. Looks like the light bulb angle for me with this one. He had taken seven starts to break his maiden, and in particular, his last five races were all really good. Second, second, third, third, finally put it all together in one against maiden 12-5 claimers against Arkansas Reds. But he was really versatile and honest and always showing up with good efforts and showing speed, coming from off the pace. He could pass horses. Now you're going to get a little bit of a cutback with him. And you just compare his form overall to the rest of this field. I think he's very well spotted in here. The number seven, O'Arks, six to one on the morning line. Let's move to race number eight for our next play at Louisiana on Sunday. It is the number four, Midnight Faith. This is a Louisiana-bred maiden special weight turf race for fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up. The number four, Midnight Faith, has never tried the turf, 
But looking at her form overall, just kind of nobody in here has any turf success at all. Midnight Faith feels like the seven and a half should just be the perfect trip for her. She's actually shown a little bit of speed. Last time out going a mile, she did in her debut going six and a half. The mile races seem a little too far for her. You can eliminate the race back in January because that sent her to the break for a little bit. And back in November, she was on an off track, a muddy sealed racetrack. And that was a race that's come back very live. Now all of a sudden you start digging into her form. You can eliminate a couple races. She looks better overall. I think it's a good spot for the number four, Midnight Faith, who is 10 to 1 on the morning line there on Sunday at Louisiana Downs. Good luck on Sunday. Let's head on over to Monday. Monday, Louisiana Downs races 2 and 5, the plays for June the 5th in race number 2. It feels like there are two major speed horses in here to the inside and then to the outside. The number one, Mangleson, is very fast and legitimate in a good barn with Jose Guerrero aboard. I think from the inside, he's going to be forwardly placed. Now, we haven't seen him run since March, so could be a little bit short off a few months. If that is the case, I'm hoping the number 10 military bearing can capitalize. He's going to wheel back quickly in here. He gets back to the turf. All four of his races last year at Louisiana on the turf were really good, and his grass form overall is excellent. I like military bearing. He can sit just off the pace from the outside with G Money, and if the one gets a little tired off the bench, the 10's just in the perfect spot there. 6-1 to one on the morning line. Military bearing. Let's go to race number five for our other play of the day at Louisiana. It's going to be the number seven, Monarch Man. Five to one on the morning line. This is a seven and a half furlong turf race. Monarch Man is going to go second start off the short break. His last start, he had a slow start. He was at the back of the pack, but he cut the corner nicely to third. And he moved all the way up to second on the inside. He tried to challenge, but the leader opened up and went wire to wire. His race was actually pretty good. And compare the races that he's exiting to everyone else. He's coming out of open first-level allowance races that are way tougher than the majority of the races that these other runners are coming out of. February 4th at Fairgrounds, he was really good that day when finishing 4th, only beating about a length and a half. I think he should sit off nicely in here. The number 7, Monarch Man. 5-1 to one on the morning line. For those top-notch Louisiana connections, Shane Wilson, Jose Guerrero, and Wayne Davis. Monday, Louisiana Downs. Best of luck. Now, we're going to head over and finish up with Chad Cooper this week in wrestling. But before we do, don't forget, anyone in the state of Iowa, you can get a promo bonus right now when you sign up for an account with DRF Sportsbook. If you like to play sports, you can do so legally in Iowa, and you can use the promo code FAST1000 to get a $1,000 deposit match. Check that out. FAST1000 if you're in the state of Iowa. It was a big weekend last weekend in wrestling. We had pay-per-views, WWE Night of Champions. We had NXT Battleground, AEW Double or Nothing, the announcement for AEW Collision, CM Punk will be coming back. We talk about all of that. Money in the Bank qualifying matches. 
Chad Cooper, Koopaloop, joins us to talk this week in wrestling. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's time for another edition of This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. We're going to talk about everything going on in the world of WWE. Coming off of Night of Champions, we had Raw to discuss. NXT Battleground, and they also had NXT TV on Tuesday night. And then AEW, they had Double or Nothing, and they come off Dynamite. And they also had a big announcement. Announcement after announcement, another announcement of an announcement. <laughs> there was also an announcement of an announcement of an announcement to come. But we got some information from Tony Khan that CM Punk will be back and he will be part of the Collision Show. I will say, Chad, uh, very mixed feelings with this. There's a lot to discuss with, with Punk. But we had years and years and years of those CM Punk chants when CM Punk wasn't around. <laughs> and then yesterday they actually announced CM Punk, and we didn't get the CM Punk chance after, which I thought oh, was oh, where, were, where were they? Were they you're, uh, over there in San Diego? They're in, in San Diego, the whale's vagina, <laughs> as I believe. <laughs> uh, yeah, just so bizarre. Wrestling fans are just so finicky and bizarre. Um, I, you know, it, it's probably, unfortunately, the only move that AEW was going to have to make to make this Saturday live show work. Uh, let's just be honest. Um, I, you know, it's needed, hard enough. Needed the name. Needed the the big time. Needed him <clears throat> to, to at least for that first episode, for sure. Right. Yeah, and if you're going to do live um, in that first one, uh, you, you expect some decent ratings here, then it's really, really hard on Saturday evenings. We talked about that. But to get a new, basically, this this is a new a, a new brand. Call it what you want. There's going to be a select group of men and women on this show that you will probably not see, um, if not many, on Wednesdays or Friday nights for Dynamite or Rampage. So this is probably something, um, regardless of all the drama um, with backstage, with the elite, uh, with others involved, and Tony Khan, that this being done... Um, the million-dollar question is, will it work? And uh, we'll have to wait and see for a couple of weeks till we get the debut. What on Saturday, June 17th? Um, it will be very, very interesting because, as you and I briefly talked about it yesterday, I mean, we had so much professional wrestling over the weekend. It seems like it was last month. I mean, it, it really literally it, it re- literally was if you're looking at the calendar. But it just seems so much happens fluidly on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and even on social media that it's so really difficult to uh, to keep up. It shows you all the good wrestling over the weekend. You already forget about it because you're already moving on and building toward that next pay-per-view. And they better, they better make sure in the two months before September that this show on Saturday night is must-see TV. Yes. Yeah. Because if it is not, as soon as September starts and there's college football every Saturday, you're done. You're 100% just done. done. You, can, you can might as well go ahead and tape them on just, Wednesday. Because Dynamite. it doesn't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because it doesn't it doesn't matter. You've got to make people feel like this show is must see that you cannot watch it later. Otherwise, 
they will, and they're going to be in trouble. Now, I, I, I would love, Chad, I would love this show to be so good that it forced me and you to have to talk about it more. I would. Sure. I would love sure. it to be so good and it's so impactful that you that I got to throw it on on Saturdays in the background while I'm watching stuff. But unfortunately, here's what happened. You and I talked about, I think, the first two maybe episodes of Rampage. And then after that, we realized what the trend was and nothing important happens there. It doesn't. We just You're stopped right. talking about it. We just right. did. And I'm concerned here now um, with just overall, what does this do? Like, what is the vibe and the feeling in the locker room now when this really polarizing figure was gone and now is back? And some of the major figures in your locker room, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, those guys don't get along well with him. Chris Jericho. Those are big parts of your locker room. And now it's going to be what? They're your EVPs. I mean, yeah, these I mean, were the guys that you built the the, the, the company around. Create the company, you know. So, what is um, it going to be like backstage? What is? Here's the thing, I don't even know what the dynamic is, Chad. Like no, this isn't. No, no, no one does. And and here's the thing, is it a good thing for a wrestling company to have another show or for a network to be offering them more content, to be wanting them to produce more content? Yes, yes, I think that's a good idea. I think that's good. Overall, that's saying that the company, that the, the, the network likes what you're doing. Here's my concern. How much of this was a push from TBS, TNT, from, from Turner? Or was this more of a push from AEW? And what I mean is, was Tony going in there saying, hey, look, we can do this other show that we create just around CM Punk because we have so much talent on our roster. You know, we have all these guys that, you know, we can have this show and build it around Punk. Or was it Turner coming to them and saying, hey, you're doing so great. We need more content from you because those are two different things. I know it sounds like the same thing, but was this because CM Punk can't get along with everyone else? Is this the reason why this show is happening? Because if so, what do you do? Like, how do you do more storylines? How do you have anything connecting between Wednesday and Saturday? What do you do when it comes time for a pay-per-view or a big event when he's got to be in the back in the same locker room as everybody else? Is he sitting in the bus outside? <laughs> he might get the Brock Lesnar treatment. <laughs> Seriously, you know, like they, they, they don't even let him in the locker room. He's like outside in like a personal private bus where he, I don't know, but that is well, that's, something that's how a lot of uh, bands have made it throughout the years. Uh, you yeah, your story, you know, but this is at a much bigger level. I, you know, you, you bring up a lot of valid points. Was it was it Turner? Um, was it AEW? Was it a little bit of both? Um, is it the question I have? When is it too much? Um, you, you let's just take NXT out of the equation. WWE has five hours of live programming every week on TV and you're fighting for a little piece of the pie because not everyone, as you know, watches professional wrestling. So you're fighting for a small piece of the pie for WWE. You had two more hours, which you can, you and I both know there's only a small percentage of the WWE universe who watches NXT. Cause you can tell when some of these NXT call-ups get, you know, make their debut that a lot of these people have no idea who these people are. So then you go to AEW who has two hours every Wednesday night. You have an hour that's nine times out of 10 that's taped. Um, and then now you're adding what, two more hours on Saturday night, which is the absolute toughest 
time slot of all of the the weeknights. Even Sunday evenings are are, are easier than Saturday evenings. Then you look who's going to be look. They do have a, a a ton of people on that roster who basically, I mean, just let's let's be honest. Let, let's take Rampage out of the equation. They, they only get about two or three matches on that show and they're taped. It's a, it's not even really an extension of dynamite because it really doesn't mean a whole lot, even though Adam Cole, Kenny Omega, those guys have been on that show wrestling before. Who is it going to be built around punk? We we've seen some vignettes of collision. I know I've rec- I saw Scorpio so Sky. Who's he wrestling? Who's he wrestling? Yeah. I mean, like, who's it, at I, his level that you want to build matches around on that show? Like who you have him wrestle Dax and then, Cash and then Hobbs and then like who are the guys because the way CM Punk was presented he is at the top of the card he's a multiple time champ they put the belt on him immediately both times then he got hurt right away afterwards so now you you have him and he's got the buzz and I will say he's the biggest star they have as far as getting eyeballs drawing money selling tickets like there's no there's no doubt about that and Chad I will say too like you and I we we had, I thought, really good coverage of CM Punk's journey um, from when he returned to when he left because you and I were actually, I think, as honest as anyone that I remember listening to. Right off the bat, it was cool that he was back, but he was not quite CM Punk yet. You know, it took a while for him to find his footing. You know, he was just that happy, lovey guy. I'm here to make everyone happy in the back. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like that was a long time ago now? Yeah, like, remember he was at uh, he was at the commentary table I'm for just here for to a put over weeks. the young guys. Yeah. You know, he would say stuff like that all the time and talk about how all the great matches he wants to have with guys like Darby and Ricky Starks. You know, he'd mention names like Which that. We he, saw really none of that, by the way. That's what I mean. He had the one with Ricky with Darby. He had the one with MJF, but but they've elevated him to where now what is going to satisfy you? Is it if you're a fan, are you going to be satisfied turning in on Saturday night and watching CM Punk wrestle against people who you don't think have any chance to beat him? Or what is he wrestling for? Can you put a title belt back on this guy? And it, it is. I mean, look, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, we've seen him injured multiple times. Um, and he wasn't wrestling every week on Dynamite. Are you telling me he's going to wrestle every week on Saturday night to keep you interested in that? Are they going to have a new set of titles for Collision? This is this is, a whole new brand? Because you know, are I they going to be because what this this is what I mean? There's no there's it's kind of like so Dynamite each week. You really don't you, get, you really don't know what you're go, you're going into. It's the, it's this new Japan stuff. When, and this like, hey, look, yeah, this week on on Dynamite as we can kind of transition there with with uh, all of the punk talk you know they made the punk announcement for collision but the problem they're having right now is they've got a bunch of stuff coming up in the next few weeks again and they're going to be trying to promote all of these things so they're just yeah. they're just coming off their double or nothing pay-per-view which did not get great reviews and was not promoted well at all let me say this the two last matches on the card were fantastic even yes. though the four pillars match was horribly, horribly set up over the last month, it was incredible in ring. Incredible. Those guys left it all out there. The main event, the anarchy in the arena, those aren't my style of matches, but it still was fun. It was crazy. It was badass. There was like insanity going on. So those two were fantastic to me. Rest of the card, 
very lackluster. And as you and I were talking about on social media during the show, you're really feeling like the honeymoon period with AEW is over. Like oh, a yeah. lot of the hardcore fans that normally would just cheer everything AEW does, that wasn't the case. We saw on the pay-per-view this weekend, that was a dead crowd. I'm sorry. People kept saying it wasn't mic'd or the audience wasn't mic'd up. You can see oh, that it. They, matter. Come on. they really weren't <laughs> that hot. Um, they were hot on on Wednesday night, and we'll talk about a couple spots, but they they weren't going crazy for CM Punk when he got announced. They were not. No, and that shows you there's a little division within um, the fan base there. And uh, uh, another fact is they're having a hard time selling tickets now. And hey, look, not to down them about it. I remember pre-COVID, even, you know, before AEW was even around, WWE had a hard time selling house show tickets and, yep. and taping tickets. I remember them coming to Beaumont, Texas, where I live, which is about an hour east of Houston. Um, they'd have a house show. Roman Reigns is your champion. John Cena was there. 2,200 people on a Saturday night, a Friday night. I, it, it just, uh, there have been Raws and Smackdowns where they've, they've what do they, they tarp out the, they black out the top section and half the arenas. Mm-hmm. It happens. And AEW is, has been going through that. And, and, they, and they haven't, what's your, it's a great point. With WWE, they've been around for so long. For so and they, long, they go, know how to deal with it. Well, and, well, and, and then on the flip side, right? Like so many of us as fans are like, oh, they're going to be back around in a few months. So there are times where you don't even really worry about going to a show. It's like, sure. oh, I'm sure. busy this week because you've been to a few WWE shows before. You will go to a few WWE shows again. AEW was so new that everybody wanted to go every time they were close. And now right. we're getting right. this point where they've been running these places a lot Both now. Times. Yeah. So every time they go back to Chicago, people are like, ah, well, they'll be back here in another month sure. or six sure. weeks. Like, it, you get that right now. Look at how well, well they actually tough. sold. It's a tough ticket to sell, Gino. You know that. Movies, there's vacations. The well, now summer's is, coming up. It's, and now you're question marks. Like, the weather, like, the weather is your competitor now. You know, sure. Nick Khan points this out, and Vince McMahon did, and people always laughed at him. But he said, you know, AEW isn't our competition. Our competition is, like, Netflix, Disney, everything. Everything is that will kind of take someone away from watching. And now as summer comes up, people are out on the weekends. They're having fun. The weather's better. Barbecues, swimming, you're at the beach. You're just not sitting down at your TV checking in on wrestling quite as much as uh, we hit to Dynamite. I'm going to run through a couple of things that happened on the uh, the pay-per-view kickoff show. Hardy's and Hook. Jeff Hardy did not look good. I don't know if it was – when he doesn't look good, always the rumors come up of, you know, substance abuse, which we've seen through the years. It very well could just be age and ring rust, too, Chad. And that's another I, thing. Like That's another thing. Yeah. He's just older and hasn't been doing, like, this type of work in as many reps recently. And this is, like, just like we're talking about with CM Punk. You bring some of these guys back and you just assume, oh, they'll be fine because they're pros and they've done it a lot. But, you know, it's not that easy. As as negative as I've been on a lot of things with the uh, with AEW, I will say, man, I honestly think right now that Orange Cassidy could be a world champion at some point. I really sure. do. Like I really think with how good he's been booked recently. Um, again, they had a really good end to that battle royal on the pay per view when it was, when it it was, was. him and Swerve, and it was basically like a one on one match for a while. Um, so that was a highlight for me. 
And let me and let me tell you this as and we'll get to dynamite. But this this is storytelling that we wanted. We're not going to get WWE storytelling in AEW. It's just forget it. It's not happening. But we saw that in the the Battle Royal, right? Swerve and OC. <clears throat> we got a good showcase match on Dynamite with Swerve. The only problem I had, we didn't find out later that Swerve was going to get that that championship match soon with Orange Cassidy. I know. I would have liked him Show to have full- said something about it. That, that I, why didn't they just, just tell us just, that that match was going to be for the for it, it? it means something. Just have Swerve cut a promo or have the or Excalibur say, "Hey, look, these two. You know, he squared off with Orange Cassidy. He demanded a match on Wednesday night, and I, I just it's there. They're building it, and I'm really happy about it. But it, it's just, but yeah, back to your original point, Orange Cassidy. Again, uh, we said it week in, week week out the last what month here uh, on this podcast that this guy has been doing everything right, and he deserves this push. And you know why? It's because he's been on TV repeatedly. Yes, and meaningful just, moments, not backstage segments. With and Renee. it's been consistent. They've been telling a story with this guy fighting off everyone, thinking he can continue to, to defend his title every time he's out there. It's a, it's a little story, and it's working. It's why working. wouldn't you want your ch- a champion? Not every champion, but why wouldn't you want your champion out there doing that each each week? You know, it works really, really well. The I don't the Adam Cole Chris Jericho match wasn't very good. Um, oh, the unsanctioned match and the all the stuff with Sabu was really weird. I think there was a bad energy leading into the match because of everything that got caught up, got pulled up with Sabu over the last week, like some of his comments and some of the stuff he had said. So I think a lot of people weren't really as excited for it. And I got to say, even on dynamite, we can kind of talk about both like we were doing with Cassidy and, and swerve. This was the main event. You had Jericho and Soraya versus Cole and Brit. I thought it was fine. Like, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was it, it, I actually thought this match didn't flow very well. I thought the tag match was better overall. It was just like a match flowing. But I don't know. Even when it was it, weird to see Jer- it was weird to see Jericho getting pinned in both of these matches. I know. Now, and then was this, was this a continuation? This has to be the end of this feud, right? It does. Because it, you mentioned it. They're going to have a million things to talk about because in like three weeks you have Forbidden Door, yeah. and that's for those who do not know. That's AEW. Versus New Japan, and so now what it does is it puts a little bit of a wrench. It's sort of like when WWE has Survivor Series, right? That comes up, and it's sort of this weird thing in your booking because you now like WWE would do the brand versus brand, right? And so what ends up happening yeah, is yeah. like all the stories that you're telling on your weekly TV, they get backtracked, they get put to the back of the line right now because now for the next month we're going to be building up. Like you said, AEW versus New Japan, but what good does that do for someone like an, you know I mean, like an Adam Cole who you were thinking was going to maybe go towards MJF? MJF won't be defending his title against another AEW wrestler. It'll probably be against someone from New Japan. So he's not losing. Um, I don't. Again, is it really? Cool? I, is it, is put, cool? it look. It, and I love mixed tag, Gino. I love I loved when WWE, I said it a while back, I love when WWE did the mixed tag challenge on Facebook Live. I loved it. I thought the premise was good. I enjoyed it on Facebook Live. 
because it, 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 if that's something you you don't want to watch during Raw or SmackDown, you this is this is for the really the hardcore WWE universe fans. If you're gonna put Cole and Britt together, I understand this was the main event, right? I, you know, build this up a little bit with with Jericho and Soraya. But the problem is, we just saw the pay, uh, uh, page and and uh, and Jericho on Sunday night that really didn't do anything for us. And I agree with you. I thought this match was much better than the pay-per-view match. I just, I didn't see the purpose for it other than Jericho to take another loss. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to like this a lot more than I did with these two guys. I, I, I really did. I love both of them. I just don't think it clicked or it was some of their best work. And I, I also wonder if in a totally normal sense, this makes sense like any athlete would, is it going to take Adam Cole a little bit to get kind of comfortable again? You know, like, because I, I was watching, um, uh, me and Andrew did a, a old wrestling rewatch of NXT Philadelphia 2018. Adam Cole had a match with Aleister Black. That was just incredible. It was a, a, a no DQ match. They're just beating the crap out of each other with kendo sticks. And it's unbelievable. And Adam, like, that was five years ago. Man, Adam Cole was moving at a way different speed in that match. And yeah. I don't know if it's a combination of, right, Jericho's a little bit older. He just got back. They weren't really going for throw, that. You don't have to put everything yeah, into the yeah. match. But, but at just, the same time. Just something noticeable. Just Exactly. You and I noticed it. And we aren't an eye, the only ones. Keep an eye on it because one of the things about a guy like Adam Cole is since he is smaller he has to be really good in the ring and be really good on the mic. Like he has to be good at both of those things to kind of elevate the fact that he is a smaller guy. He has to talk bigger and wrestle bigger. And if he can't do that as much, will he feel as over and as big of a star? I'm not sure. I don't like what's going on with FTR. Um, so now it seems like they're going to, they, they beat Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Now it seems like they're going to be in a feud with, Juice Robinson and Jay White, Jay White. <laughs> which is weird because Jay, so the way I was looking at it, I'm almost wondering, Chad, because Jay White and Lethal and Jay White and Juice have been in a feud with Ricky Starks. Right. And, and Ricky Starks eliminated them in the Battle Royal. They came out and they cut a promo on Ricky Starks and then they talk trash about FTR. Do you think they go and get someone from New Japan and we get three-on-three three at Forbidden Door where it's like FTR and Starks versus Juice, Jay White, and somebody else, another, like, Bullet Club member? Well, maybe, probably, um, but didn't they announce, um, I'm going through my notes real quick, didn't they announce for next Wednesday on Dynamite is Starks versus Jay White with Juice and FTR banned from ringside? So, yeah, they're probably going in that direction. So we're getting that singles match on TV next week with the rest of the parties involved banned from ringside. So, so yeah, that, that's, that's, would, that's probably where we're going. And what's sad was that this was Jay White's best segment he's had so far when in AEW. Like this week, yeah. it, it was yeah. the most that you remember him because he got to talk a little bit and, and like show a little personality. The the only problem I have with it, and I thought he was fine. Like when he talks and stuff, he's he's entertaining, and you can tell he's got a good charisma to him. But what they've done, um, I think Wade Keller mentioned this, and I thought it was a good point. They've sort of 
defined him down to the point where it feels like him and Juice are at the same level. Yes. It doesn't feel like he's Roman Reigns and Juice is one of the Usos, like his guy. Like it should be. It should feel more like that. Like Juice is sort of the crazy guy that's off the hinges and Jay's like more of the leader that, you know, he's the main focus. They feel too too much like they're they're co and Juice has been treated like just a mid carter here. So that's it's just perception of what and who Jay White is, I don't think has been very good. No, what's gonna be really interesting is let's say this leads to a title match, a tag team title match, because I mean if you don't go in that direction after for Forbidden Door, you just basically set up a six-man tag for it with your tag champions, and they're probably, hopefully, going to have to go over. But it's not. It's not a title match. You and I both know how that works. But what if Jay White and Juice Robinson lose? Regardless, it's, it's, say Juice takes the pin. I mean, where, where, does, where do we do with Jay White from, from there? What if it is a six-man tag and, and they lose? What if they don't win the tag team titles? The, the biggest the problem that they've... Them? that they've had here also was they put two guys against each other that shouldn't have been against each other right now. Like you shouldn't have had Jay white anywhere where he's losing anything for the first month or two of his AEW career. Like everything, everything he's doing should be making him impressive until we get to the point where now you're going to put him in a feud, like where he is right now with Starks, this should have been a month down the line or six weeks down the line after he stacked up some wins and stuff early and looked a little more impressive because now like Starks shouldn't be losing either right now. No, Starks no. was really Starks was in feuds with MJF. He was wrestling for the title and felt like he was legitimate there. And honestly, since Starks, I don't think any of the other guys that have faced MJF have felt like they were as good of like contenders for that title. They really have. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got to Wardlow versus Christian cage. Man, and what's scary about that match is that the, the ladder broke. Wardlow keeps climbing on it, and he jumps on it, and, like, the referee has to go over and hold the ladder and tell him, dude, you better get off this. You can't climb it. It's I don't know if if this is, like, a thing backstage where, where they, like, rally the troops and we're going to do this, but they got to be a little more careful and safer with these spots because we've seen too many people get hurt, and I I am a fan. I love being entertained. I don't want to see these guys and gals get hurt trying to do a spot that's going to slightly make the match a little bit more entertaining if it's not worth it, if it's not worth it. Yeah, um, I mean, did we really need to see a ladder match with Christian Cage and Wardlow? That tells me that they thought they needed to add something to this match to make it more likable and to make it more pop. So Wardlow and his title was not good enough versus Christian Cage, and that's the way I look at it. Um, and it, if you agree with me or not, um, it wasn't something that we thought was going to be all look, Christian cage is not in his twenties, early thirties anymore. That's what he, I mean. I just don't, I don't do this, man. I don't you think just, he needs to do you're this. Ask, you're asking too much, uh, of certain people. And I, and I don't care if the guy suggested it, Hey, let's do a Bob wire exploding ladder match. Christian, we don't need to do that right be, now, buddy. You know what I mean? Like that's. That's end of yeah. conversation. You know, like, thank you. We don't need to do that right now, buddy. Let's figure out a way to get you out there and have you work a little smarter, you know? And now, not- and, and now we go from, and apparently we're going that direction. Now we go from Wardlow Cage to Wardlow Luchasaurus, you know, which, okay. I mean, I guess could be okay, but 
man, I, I mean, I'm not picking on Wardlow week after week, but you talk about scenes forever when a guy was was really really over. Like he should he should be and he was he was the top draw for several weeks on Dynamite. He should be ready to to be the guy to take the title from MJF, and he's not right now. Right like the now. way they had set that yes. up, he should be ready to be the guy to do that, and that's just not the case. Um, I liked. I I like the look of Tony Storm. I actually thought she looked fantastic in the green. I thought the Outcast had their best oh, look yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, in the all yeah. green stuff. But I didn't um I just didn't connect with the promo they had the other day. And sometimes it feels Me like either. like this this version of Tony is better than what what it was before. Sometimes it feels like they're just laying it on a little too thick. Um and I don't know. It's still still not really connecting with me. And and now right now like I feel like Tony is fine. But Jamie Hayter got hurt, so she's not quite as over as she was. Britt doesn't feel as over to me at all as she was. And Jade just lost. She's not nearly as over. We don't really have a lot of the women that feel like they're on a good trajectory right now or sort of pointing forward. Um, You know, Tony ended up winning this match in three minutes because Jamie was hurt. And we'll, we'll see what moves, what comes forward now, but... So who's the next contender? I mean, the one that they keep, the one that it should be, I don't know about right now, but soon is Willow. Because yeah, Willow, I think she's on, uh, they're putting her on Rampage with that title. I And I assume, uh, wouldn't you go with the Forbidden Door that yeah, match? Yeah, because she's the women's New Japan that's champion. A hell, that's a hell of a match right yeah, there. Yeah, and that makes honest. sense. because That a, makes sense. Because now you've got part of great, the A, but, but she's part of AEW and a New Japan champion, right? So that would make the most sense because you could build, you could build, build this match on your TV the next few weeks. And it's not one that takes you completely out of it. Like that's what I'm going to be struggling with in the next few weeks, because is, is it going to be again, where it's all of the matches are just AEW versus new Japan. Are we going to have one or two matches where it's just an AEW match? I don't know. Like, I'm not sure what, what the format is going to be for that. So it's a little bit difficult. Also, New Japan has a uh, pay-per-view this weekend called Dominion. They, that's why they haven't built anything yet. They haven't been able to really book anything because New Japan has to have their pay-per-view this weekend before they can sort of finalize where all the titles are and who everyone's going to be facing at Forbidden Door. So they've like they're in like a holding pattern right now. They couldn't even start promoting the show this week that's three weeks away. They have to wait till next week. They teased it, Chad, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, that Kenny Omega is out of the country, but he's not in Canada. I would bet. (laughs) Wonder where he went. I would bet he shows up at that Dominion pay-per-view this weekend to set something up. Yes. Yes. Kenny goes to get help from someone, right? I don't think it was a coincidence that Don Callis, who we'll mention in a minute, said the word Okada the way he did. So I could see Kenny going to get Okada. And maybe help the elite, and you have another match where it's like Kenny, it's the the elite with Okada versus Blackpool Combat Club, and now they have Takeshita. I could see that being a match that they build around, have a big match, even like an elimination style match. I could see them doing right. something like that. Right. Um, so I guess like as we're talking about that, I gotta say, I don't always love his performances. I think Don Callis, the former Jackal. Way back in the day, um, <laughs> he, he, the idea of Don is great. Like the 
the Bobby Heenan, Jesse the Body Ventura kind of guy who's a fast talking manager. He's he, you can see little combinations of all those guys, Paul Heyman, in everything. I think sometimes he lays it on so thick that it becomes too comedic, like almost yeah. too silly for for the seriousness of you know him being with Kenny Omega. I think sometimes it's like, oh, okay, that's Don. He's fine. Um, and he does annoy me a little bit here and there. This was unbelievable. I, I will say this is one of the greatest AEW se- uh, segments of TV I'd ever seen just because of the crowd. How oh, yeah. awesome yeah. that crowd was when he came out and they wouldn't let him speak and they were booing the hell out of him because AEW doesn't do this. Their no. crowds, I was thinking about it, they don't boo anyone ever like that. They no. used to do it. What was the guy's name from uh, from – um, top top ring. Um, well, uh, oh, Dan Lam- Lambert, uh, the coach, yeah, Lambert, yeah. Lambert, yeah. right? They would boo him a little bit. This was Dominic Mysterio level heat. Oh, right you just now. yeah, yeah. You stole my liner. Yeah, yeah this was sure. when Roman came out after beating Taker, right? And they like <laughs> wouldn't let him talk. Th- this was awesome. And every time he started to try to talk, the crowd would just go. It. I thought this was this was great. Like I really yeah, good job it, by the crowd and good job by him. I just a week ago crapped all over Callis. I've always liked Callis on, you know, he used to do a lot of commentary and I really enjoyed that. I liked his little stint. Not everybody watches impact wrestling. I wish they should. Um, They have some really good guys and girls on there. Um, He was really, really good at impact. I thought he brought a a kind of a different flair while Mm -hmm. on the mic. I I didn't really think I, I, I still don't, um, I didn't understand uh, him and Omega. Maybe they go back years and years and years, and I just don't know it. But well, what they like you got, said, they didn't tell that story enough no, because no, he, he no. what what some of the things that Don was saying is true. Like Don went and was the guy who sort of elevated Kenny, and in I didn't Japan. know, that, and I had no clue of that. He he, and he was the guy who got Jericho to go to New Japan and and have a match against Kenny. Which, like, he got all of that set up, which basically got Jericho working with the New Japan guys and sort of got him into AEW. So he was really spinning the wheels. And Callis is right. Like, Callis and Jericho and Omega are all from the same little area in Canada. Like, all all really close. But they didn't show us or tell us this is one of the biggest problems AEW has. They just figured we all knew this stuff and everybody knew it. And we didn't No, not everybody knew the connection they had and all of that. And so it, it made it feel not quite as important. My other knock with this is I don't, is Takeshita the right guy? Right. Yeah. And I, I don't, he doesn't need to talk. If you've got Don Callis, that's fine. He's fantastic in ring. Is he really the guy you wanted to go all in with? If he is, then sure. Then, then great. But I don't know if he's going to get the heat as much as Callis is. Like, is that heat on him or is that heat on Callis? Because I don't know if he walks out there without Callis, he's getting that kind of heat. Yeah, I don't think so. And Callis got nuclear heat. I mean, kudos. Uh, That was awesome. It it was was awesome. It it, it was. It was good to see. uh, It was good to see that segment uh, pick up um, and and get that much heat. Uh, And I'm with you. I think it's all Callis here. And I, if you're not a purist wrestling fan are, are you do you and i remember us talking about this the same time last year do you really get heavily involved with 
forbidden door. And as you said, you know, several minutes ago, when you have a new collision show coming up and you have forbidden door with another set of wrestlers, this really convolutes a lot of things. You really have to pay attention to all moving parts of AEW right now to understand. And I'll tell you, I, I don't ever know when they're promoting something when it is. Because they yeah, do that, they do the funny gimmick thing where they where they have Excalibur roll over Talks everything, <laughs> like over five, and they, they all laugh and they think it's funny, but it does the opposite of what they want. I never know when their thing, when the matches are, when the when what they're talking about is. I'm like, what? It just all all jumbles together. So, a um, couple more things to mention with AEW before we move to WWE. We had the House of Black get the win over the uh, the acclaimed. So the acclaimed, this was an open house rules match. What was weird about this? The acclaimed won a shot at the titles. They didn't say we were going to have this match until they they like answered the open challenge. Then they lose and they come out on Dynamite and they cut a promo talking about how Billy Gunn needs to get one more title before he's done. And so it seems like they're going to continue to go for these titles, which would be weird just coming off of a loss at the pay-per-view to go right back for them again. So I don't know what they're doing. I do know that the acclaimed was way more over two months ago than they are right now. Yeah, that's unfortunate. They cooled off. Was Chris Statlander the right person to beat Jade? I'd, I feel <laughs> a little bit conflicted about this, Chad, because <laughs> I did too. think I did think Jade's run was stagnant. Oh, it yeah. was stagnant. She stagnant. needed something needed to change. And there's some rumors that she may need to be taking some time off for a little while. The, and and I, let me say, I thought Chris Statlander, the crowd was behind her. And I thought the return, her coming out there, felt like a big deal. I don't think she ever was built up like a big deal before this, though. Like, no, her returning but remember she was stuck was in cool. the— she had the alien gimmick, right? Yeah. And, she, and unfortunately, she she had several knee injuries, um, and she was part of the best best friends program. I always thought she had great potential um, on the indie days. She's and, good in the and, ring. She's got a good look. She's a little bigger, right. um, just like size wise, strength wise. She kind of got a, like a Raquel sort of yes. feel. Got, to got her. a got a very good build. Uh, didn't get a very good start in AEW. Has some injuries or two. Uh, or two. What I didn't like is this. Oh, they, she's got unfinished business with. And I'm like, wait a minute. What? When, she does. What do you mean? You know, I, I I don't have a problem with title reigns ending because they do. They 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 have to. But uh, and then if if she wants to take time off, I, hey, look, I'm all for that because everyone gets gets burned out on what they do. And she may look. She's got a. From what I hear, there are a lot of there are a lot of businesses and companies that, and I'm talking movie wise, product wise, she can be a really big big star outside yeah. professional wrestling. And I'm not saying that's the direction she's going. So she may be going to look into that stuff. But what I found even more interesting is so Taya takes the loss, Statlander comes out, beats, wins the title, and then. But the thing Wednesday is, night. that's not a baby face thing at all, either. No, that's the heel win, and gimmick. Win, and then Wednesday night, Taya Valkyrie, it looks like we're going to get Taya and Chris Statlander. And it, it, it kind of makes sense for Taya to say, like, she just had a match against me. I did all the dirty work, and then yeah. you come out and win. Yeah, it, was, it was like I, a I Money in Taya. the Bank gimmick, right? It was yeah. like, 
the ultimate opportunist edge coming out there and cashing the money in the bank in. A um, couple other uh, little quick tidbits. I guess it looks like we're going back to Jungle Boy maybe in a, a Jack Perry in a tag. He comes out to save Hook. Remember when he said, I'm done with the tags. I'm going to win a singles title like two months ago. And now right after losing that match, he's back to a, uh, back to a, a tag situation. It, it looks like um, Cassidy and Darby picked up a win. And Chris Statlander got the Darby win. Darby goes over. from uh, uh, the, the four pillars <laughs> title picture to a tag with OC. And yeah. he was wearing a funny Elvis yeah. gimmick. In the uh, the pay per view, didn't understand that booking. We did get a uh, booking. We did get the return of Sting. Yeah, we did get the return of Sting here. That was a good point. Uh, glad you mentioned that one. And then uh, yeah, we finished with Jericho and Cole. We already spoke about that. Let's move on over to WWE. Coming off of Night of Champions, and then on to Monday Night Raw. Overall, sort of comparing just um, the the two shows, we might have had like the best match. Or maybe your two favorite matches, if you were to look at Night of Champions and AEW, maybe your two favorite matches were on AEW show. Maybe, maybe. But following those two, the rest of like Night of Champions was so much better from like a floor. There just wasn't bad work happening all throughout this match. Seth AJ, incredible to open up. Trish Becky, very good. It all made sense. Gunther Ali. It was perfect for what it was, and now we see oh, yeah. Ali show back yeah. up on NXT. Asuka, Bianca, another really good in-ring match for the two of them, going 15. Rhea ends up winning quickly. That's what that was supposed to be. It was just a squash. She just beats Natalia. Brock Cody was good. Brock's been doing some of the best work that he's done. And then KO and Sammy versus the Bloodline, great 26-minute match. We get to see Roman Reigns lose. We get to see the Bloodline exploding. This was a very good pay-per-view from top to bottom with no weak spots. Yeah, we've been hoping for uh, the the big Uso turn. And man, oh man, uh, you know, we give credit to Reigns. We've given a lot of credit to Paul, of course, Sammy. Um, let's give credit to the Usos here. You talk about cinematic. I mean, there was within a matter of 30, 40 seconds, maybe a minute, the story told if I, you know, I should have done this or you should have done this a long time ago, then boom, another super kick, uh, just so climatic. And, you know, you and I called it. Uh, we thought that Seth and AJ would open the show. It did. Fantastic. It delivered. Uh, we thought Brock Cody would be somewhere during the middle. Uh, we thought it could be a, you know, somewhat of a squash match. No, it, it was is a lot better than what we thought going into it because Cody was deemed to have a broken arm the week of, and then this main event to end it um, where there were a lot of people who thought that Roman was about to be Roman four belts. And I just think it made everyone in that match so much bigger. And now you can have one of the Usos. I mean, wouldn't you mind SummerSlam that Jimmy or Jay versus Roman for those titles? How about a triple threat? A triple threat? That'd even be even better. Because people keep talking about like Jimmy in one and Jay in the other, but like a triple threat or a four-way with all of them battling it out for the title? Sure. That would be— I mean, that Bloodline storyline has to come to an end sooner or later, and it's probably going to end sooner rather than later. SummerSlam would be perfect for it, would be perfect ending for that. Sure, you can still have some— 
you know, some solo versus the Usos or whatever, you know, but that moment in time when it happened was imagine being uh, at that show live because you if you could feel it at, you know, 1.30, 2 p.m. Central, <laughs> Central Standard Time like I was feeling, I just imagine the uh, the intensity in there. That was just an amazing moment for that storyline. And I'll tell you what, the facial expressions the Usos, uh, you can say whatever you want to about professional wrestling wrestlers, what they do inside the ring. And the I'll acting always say this. I remember when Triple H told me, if you can do the other half, you will be forever remembered. And I, what the Usos did um, uh, last weekend at Night of Champions is going to be remembered for a very, very long time. Let's uh, get over to Raw, and we'll kind of talk about how everything from the, the pay-per-view bled on over to Monday Night Raw. We open things up with Seth freaking Rollins, new WWE World Heavyweight Champion. And Seth comes out, great reaction from the crowd, fans chanting, you deserve it. He gets interrupted by AJ Styles. The brand split <laughs> is done already. I'm back, back on Raw tonight. SmackDown wrestler AJ is back here on Raw. He said he just wanted to congratulate him. Then they were interrupted by the Judgment Day. So it set up a match for later on the show. And this is kind of exactly what we were talking about last you week, right? You called it. Not we. Like, you called it. The Judgment Day being, you know, the first contenders for Seth. We could see him running through, like, all three of them in the next few weeks on TV or to build up one of them for a, a pay-per-view match. And, you know, again, you're going to have Seth and AJ in a tag match in the main event. All these guys are great workers. They all get elevated a little bit. It, it all makes sense, man. This was This was good use of them to start and then to finish Raw. I, I mean, kudos to you. I I had nothing to do with the call. I just jumped on the bandwagon. You you called it. Um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Seth doing a gauntlet match on a pay per view. Yes, or, or on Raw, all three of them. You that know, would be and, awesome. And, and have some false finishes in there. That uh, is really is good. cool. This is good, safe WWE stuff right here. Um, I knew something more was coming with AJ coming out. I, I didn't think we were going to have a rematch here. And it turned out to be a really good tag team, too. And the crowd was into it. They 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 hate Dom. They're really into uh, the this Judgment Day gimmick. And uh, as you said, kudos for Seth and AJ for putting on a hell of an opener uh Night of Champions. The next match on Raw was a Money in the Bank qualifying match, which we started to have set up. And I love to see this. Ricochet picks up a victory here. So whether or not you think Ricochet has a chance to win this thing, at the very least, you put him in a ladder match to make that ladder match way, way better. And now, Chad, because there's two titles, I don't know right now, but I still feel like you could make Ricochet into a guy that could win this title on Monday Night Raw. I don't. It, you have to build him up a little bit. I don't think it's that far away. I think they've done a really good job with him over the last year or so. In the real key, not having him have these bad losses on TV all the time. We don't see him get rolled up and have matches where he loses in two minutes anymore. He's felt more important the way they've treated him. I could... I could see him winning this money in the bank, and I would have never said that if, if it was just the one title with Roman Reigns. No, and you could you could have made a case where this is a typical spot for the Miz to go over 
because uh, you know he's put on some quality matches in. Uh, Dude, the Miz uh, was was doing things that he doesn't do in any oh, of his matches. Best like part was him being surprised that he didn't get a three count, and he and he goes, "But I springboarded." Yes, I <laughs> springboarded. It was so good. It was it great. Was so good, Miz. And look, the crowd was hot. The crowd was happy after the match too. So, I, you know, I, I do. You know, I read where Braun Strowman's hurt. And I, you know, I didn't, I don't know if Braun, they were going to continue on with the Braun Ricochet tag team, which was uh, popular, but that was a, you know, a safe little tag team to have, but uh, I like this and yeah, I'm with you. He, he's got a, a, a really good shot of winning this briefcase because as you said, if Roman Reigns is your world champion on raw and Ricochet wins a qualifying match or Ricochet ain't winning this money in the Bay briefcase, but imagine a Ricochet Versus Seth Rollins for the world title. Or, or let's say, or, or, let's like play it out a little bit. Let's say in a couple months, Seth loses this title. Okay. Right. And, and it's to someone from the judgment day. It's to, you know, Gunther. It's to, you know, someone that's slightly not the, the main event. You can absolutely put Ricochet right in there to win this. Like I was, I was thinking of guys like Austin Theory, right? It, it, he's on SmackDown, but if he were elevated to win this title at some point, that's where you have a guy like Ricochet beat him. I don't know if Ricochet could beat Roman Reigns, but almost anyone else, what he can do in ring, I like seeing this. I thought this was really good for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. We uh, recap Trish Stratus getting the win over Becky. She's got a bruise. It's not here or here. It's right here. <laughs> yeah, the old Tommy boy. Um, I think the pairing with Zoe Stark is fantastic. We thought there might be a schmozzy ending at the pay-per-view to get Trish over and to continue this feud. It's exactly what they did. They paired Zoe Stark with Trish, which is good because Zoe Stark struggles cutting promos, kind of finding her character. She's very good in ring. And now you can have these two sort of as a package for a little while and you can have some Becky and you know, Trish matches again, you can have Becky and Zoe and inevitably we'll get Lita returning and then we'll get a tag match between the two of them. Right. Yeah, this is, this is fantastic. Uh, we've known about Zoe since uh, I've known her since her uh, indie days, but NXT, she just was fantastic and we knew she struggled on the mic. Um, uh, uh, what's going to be interesting to see here, didn't they, uh, again, I'm going through my notes here, doesn't Zoe and Becky have qualifying matches? Yeah, so Becky, next week on Raw, uh, Becky versus Sonya, qualifier match, and you have Zoe versus Natalia. Now, do both of them qualify? Do um, both lose? I could see both. both losing, one winning, one lose. I think I could see... I could see Becky losing because I, I, I'm hoping Chelsea gets involved in this match or money in the bank. She qualify. I could see her losing Chelsea getting involved. I don't know. Do, do Becky. Of them, yeah. Becky the, doesn't need to win this. And, 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 and I think you have her lose this match with, like I you think said, you have Sonya. Zoe win. I, and I yeah. wouldn't mind Zoe going on and winning this briefcase with Trish leading her through it all. It might be a good thing to do. You're right. I think your best way to go is you You don't want Becky. I don't think it matters if Becky wins or loses right now. I don't think it matters. No, I don't but want, you don't want Zoe, Zoe in the semifinals. Or yeah, and I, I don't think you want Zoe 
losing right off the bat like this, even if it is Becky. Even if it is because Becky comes out and gets involved and interferes. I think you want Zoe winning that match, going on, like you said. Maybe if Zoe Becky, wins, don't you think she's going to win the, the, the briefcase? I would be fine if, if Zoe wins, gets that match, and then Becky screws her out of it. Okay. Right? Becky has or a match go. with Trish at Money in the Bank, and then after that match, Becky goes out and makes sure that Zoe doesn't win. And then that keeps Zoe and Becky going. I'd be fine with something like that. Or, Does the WWE need Becky Lynch in this la- uh, Money in the Bank ladder match? I don't think so. I think they, okay. they, I think they want her on the show. I think they'd be better off having her in a singles match on the show in okay. Money in the Bank. Because you could even sell that bigger than the Money in the Bank match overall. Um, Indu Sheer, they're booking them well. They're getting these guys some squashes. Uh, poor uh, uh, big body Javi out there. Getting getting squashed <laughs> on uh, on Monday Night Raw, we then uh, previewed Roman Reigns celebrating a thousand days as champion coming up this week. The uh, this was a good week for the Imperium. They yeah, made really Kaiser and, and Vinci look really good and look strong again. And it feels like we're definitely going in a direction with them and Sammy and KO for you know a tag match and then possibly even something with Gunther. Um, I, I thought, man, Sammy and KO were really good on commentary. Like, really good. They're so, like, they're they're so comfortable with each other, and they know each other so well that they just, their banter and their back and forth is fantastic. We ended up getting them on commentary for the Gable and Otis match versus Imperium. This was to let Kaiser and Vinci get the win to make them look strong. And Sammy and KO even put them over and talked about how good they are in the ring. So we'll continue to go there. I just, the only thing I don't like about this is why did we have these guys a week ago or a couple weeks ago just lose clean? Yeah. The KO yeah. and Sammy, if yeah. if you were going to go here, you just shouldn't have had that match ever. Yeah, that's a good point. And what do we do with Gunther? Where does he go from here? No, he's kind of an, he doesn't seem he's like they lost. have so someone. No man's land. They have because I, I, form, right? I think it's more of like, who across from him right now like who is who is there it feels like it's got to be riddle because they've kept kind of going back to this but sure um yeah they need to build up a couple intercontinental contenders a little bit better for uh for gunther next up we had the build to the women's tag team championship match because of injury the women's tag team titles were up for grabs and Ronda and Shayna get the win. This was expected. This sure. was probably what it was supposed to be. And Ronda felt she looked like she had a little bit more of a bounce to her step. Like it seems like she likes this being with with Shayna. The two of them come out in their gi, in their gis. And uh yeah, they they um as far as like big names and as far as good for the tag division, as long as we're seeing them often, I think this will be solid. I don't want it to be a situation where they've got the belts now and they never wrestle because we're starting to build up some some women's tag teams like Chelsea and Sonia are a fun tag team. We've seen uh, Raquel have a couple different partners now. They've pulled up a couple women's tag teams from NXT. So don't I just we have I, the NXT champions somewhere. Yeah, they're on SmackDown also. So yeah, I think this was the right call, Chad. Because they felt like they were always supposed to be the the champions a month or two ago. I just hope that we we see them consistently, even if it's for a while, them squashing a bunch and, and looking like badass tag team. 
Yeah. Uh, for number one, we hopefully get some, but we just seem like we've been snake bitten for this, whoever's had the WWE Women's Tag Team titles, right? Every time. I mean, every time. It just it, it, it's happened, and it's not like just Liv and Raquel twice. started feeling like a fun team. They were Finally. wearing matching gear, Finally. and they they were yeah. doing tandem moves together and stuff. And then boom, Liv's hurt. Yeah, it lives hurt, and we've come to find out that Dakota Sky blows another knee out, and she's doing it to help protect Liv, who has told, you know, who said, hey, I'm hurt, can you do, they're in the middle of a move, so Dakota uh, helps out with that. Yeah, and you know what, I, I think this helps Rhonda in a couple of different ways, and the main way is, she's not by herself anymore. Um, we wanted, remember years and years ago, as you mentioned, we wanted the four horsewomen. We wanted this, uh, this you know, with Charlotte and Sasha. We wanted this four-way battle. Just never could get it. Maybe it was never really expected for for WWE. But it, it it's gonna. If we can make Ronda more comfortable, you know, on the mic, she's had some problems on the mic. She's gotten heat, right? She's not a a a, a an an average WWE superstar in the ring. Shayna has just done. She's done everything she's been asked and, and then and then some. She's just been a, a badass. She's been put in bad situations. So I think this makes Ronda Rousey more comfortable. She's got someone with her. She's got a new title that she's never had. She said it in her promo. Hey, this is my first to ever have. And I, you know, and I'm going to uh, cherish this, but I'm with you. I want to see them. I want to see them often on TV. I don't want to see them just at pay-per-views. I want to see no. them uh, every week do some things. We got a video package for Candice LeRae. It's a very start. strange. It, it was, was weird. Weird with the like the fairy wings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's a start in that they didn't give us I, anything I agree. with Candice when they pulled her up. Like they didn't give us anything. They at least did no. this with Zoe. Remember, they gave Zoe a little a little promo. They did They've done this with they did it with Indy even, but they didn't give us anything with Candace. So I don't know if I'm gonna love the what they're doing, but at least it's something. And, and you know what? I'll say this. She's been on and she's been in matches a couple of weeks. We we think that her, Johnny G, Tommaso, once Indy gets healthy and maybe Dexter, Dexter. you know, and there's even maybe Theory uh down the line, we we get this faction. It was odd, but you're right. At least it's something with her. They just didn't push her down the line as being, oh, she's she's going to give us a good 10 to 15 minute TV match. J.D. McDonough looks like uh, he's going to have a, a little feud with Dolph Ziggler going here. Yeah, love me it. too. I think this was a, this was good. And we'll uh, we'll continue this along even more. We heard from Cody Rhodes. Another really great promo from man, Cody. He's good at what he does, right? He is, man. He's good. And I I will say. I like what they've been doing here. I still would have wished that he maybe would have won the title. Won a match or two. <laughs> you still stuck on this. that. I am. I'm still stuck on it because <laughs> Roman, we see Roman now, like Roman without the title, like having this happen with the bloodline would be really cool, like crazy, like insane Roman. But again, all that being said, they've done a great job here. And this has made Brock feel a lot more important than he felt a couple months ago. Okay. Repeat what you just said. Right, this has made Brock feel a lot more important than he was a couple months ago. We're not we're not talking Brock Anderson. I'm not trying to be ugly no. here, right? Um, 
Brock Lesnar, you just said this has made Brock Lesnar look and feel more important than he was three months ago. Did you ever think the day that anyone other than Roman, someone like that, could make Brock Lesnar look even better than what he is? No. Case closed, man. I mean, hey, I'm not the biggest fan of the Rhodes family. I was always the Ric Flair guy. Um, But... (laughs) The dude is, has been doing phenomenal work and what he's been able to do with this Brock program. Cause I was legitimately, I thought, man, this just may not be the right move for Cody. And we were questioning it during the, after WrestleMania, when we were watching the press conferences and then Brock gets involved and we're like, man, this is going to be ugly. Brock's going to squash Cody. What did triple H bring this guy back for? Holy crap. This has been pretty phenomenal, has it? And I think this you was, said the line of the week, and I have not heard that anywhere else. This has made Brock Lesnar feel more important than he was three months ago. And that's he's bigger doing, than the title, Tino. He's doing title. He's and you could tell he's invested in this because he's working matches like he used to work as a young wrestler. Long matches with stories. That this match was a 10-minute match, 15-minute matches. We're not talking about Brock going out there for three minutes and just doing a bunch of suplexes. He's he's invested in this. Uh, shout out to Cody and Brock doing some great work there. Yeah, Gunther did mention Riddle. He said he wants Riddle to win the uh, the Money in the Bank because he hopes he can try to cash in on him and he'll spoil it. So they're teasing Gunther and Riddle. Shinsuke Nakamura has looked good. I I thought this was. I had some mixed feelings because at the same time, we've both been high on Bronson Reed. And I, w- I would have loved to see him win this and and continue on his momentum. If you don't have plans for him and you do have plans for Nakamura, which kind of feel like they do since they brought him over. He's been treated like a top of the card wrestler again. I could see them. I don't know if Nakamura wins the money in the bank, but I could see him coming out of that still in a really good spot. And I think he's in a much better spot, just like we said with Brock. Nakamura feels, again, like someone who we felt when he came up from NXT. Maybe not quite at that level, but way better than where he's been the last year or two on SmackDown. Yeah, this is uh, this is a surprise result for me. I didn't think this uh, was going to happen. I thought Bronson uh, would beat I, him. I, I did, too. The way they have been uh, uh, pushing Bronson in these vignettes. Remember, he was involved in a in a very good triple threat match recently. Uh, but at the same time, you said it. Uh, Shinsuke has been brought back with uh, a chip on his shoulder. Um, you know, he, he was kind of one week he was on Miz TV and we thought, oh, no, you know, oh, no. Um I don't know. I, I, I don't know here, Gino. I, I don't know if, if he's not the guy that, that's going to win this. Maybe. This is, uh, I, again, you're talking about. Isn't a it good? Isn't it good that we're it. saying this, that we're that we're feeling like he could, though? I think that's a good thing. I do feel bad. But at the same time, oh, I me feel, too, me too. I feel bad because, man, that one night on Raw when Bronson Reed and Lashley were going at it, we said, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right now, you got to do something with him, and he it does. It's true. Does feel cooled down off of that? No doubt about it. He he does, and and that's and and that's problematic. Um, now, ever since Shinsuke tweeted my house show photos, I'm a Shinsuke fan. You're so a mark. I'm gonna, 
<laughs> You're no, a Nakamarka. But no, I, I'm more concerned with Reed losing here. Very surprising. But I don't think we can write off Shinsuke not losing this because, again, we're going back to what you just said. We have a different dynamic champion on Monday Night Raw now. And not that Bronson, AJ would, would not be good, um, but Shinsuke win it. I don't know. I just, I was very surprised at this. And I thought Bronson Reed would go over and definitely qualify because you talk about dynamics. You bring a big guy dynamic into that money in the bank. That's as that athletic as he is. He would have made that. What about spot get? Oh man, there'd be some good spots. I just hope he bounces back from this really quick. I don't know where you go. Well, how about it's him and Guther? That see, because we we had that a while ago, but it feels fresher now again. It does. It does. It does. It does. It does. I think Maybe Riddle, we can go to that. Yeah, because I think Riddle and, and Nakamura are probably the best best guys to post against Gunther moving yes. forward in the next yeah. couple months. Just sort of feel yeah. where they slot, and then and then even like Ricochet is another one where the, Ricochet. I think Gunther beat Ricochet for the title. I I think um, initially. I wouldn't mind going back to that again a year and a year and a half later, right? Like that would be fine. He's another guy that's sort of at that level that you could see. So good stuff from Nakamura. They had the Rollins and AJ main event match to close out raw. So they were, uh, as it was so funny as that this was happening. I, I didn't hear, I didn't even realize Milo was in the other room. Singing, oh, he like he does it with me because he loves to sing the Rollins. Uh, oh, oh, he does, and I swear he knows like when to sing, and he does. He knows the Cody whoa now. He knows when to pop for the Cody Rhodes when when Cody's music comes out. <laughs> it's pretty cool when your son when your son pops with you like that. So uh shout out to WWE, a very good week for them, Night of Champions and Monday Night Raw. Let's finish up Koopa Loop with NXT, who had a great week themselves. Yeah, they did. Really good energy coming off of their battleground pay-per-view. Let's sort of go through the pay-per-view and then kind of talk about how that moved forward onto uh, NXT TV. Triple threat to open the show. Wesley, Tyler Bate, Joe Gacy. This thing was really, really fun. Wesley gets the win. And now to open NXT, we actually had uh, we had the, the weaponized steel cage match to start. But following that, Mustafa Ali shows up. Yeah. And it feels like he's going to be kind of in this North American championship picture, which I think would be great with Ali having just got a nice rub while he didn't beat Gunther. He looked good, and they just had the video package presenting him in Saudi Arabia. He's not from there, but he was able to um, celebrate and pray and um, – you know, worship together. We got to see his journey. It was all really impactful. I thought it was a great video package they put together of Mustafa and what they did on NXT, bringing him in. And then we could talk about how they bring in Baron Corbin. This is good use of guys who are free agents and who don't have anything going on the main roster right now. Now let's, let's talk Ollie's, uh, eventually him and Wesley will go one-on-one, which will be an absolute, Incredible match because Ali hasn't gotten a chance to go like 15 minutes like that in a long time in a match like that. We get to see them take the handcuffs off him 
it's going to be awesome. Do, do you, what is the percentage that he becomes the new North American champion? I wouldn't be shocked. Okay. I, I you really give wouldn't. him a bigger percentage than Baron Corbin. Corbin absolutely. Corbin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I think, I don't, I think for Hayes, he's at the time of his reign where you're going to start, you want to, like, every win for him is just making his resume look more impressive, right? I think yeah. it's, you beat yeah. a Baron Corbin, who was a former U.S. champion and a main roster sure. guy, and then you could bring in, uh, you know, who knows where he is, but like a for, another former NXT. I could see, you know, uh, like someone like a Nakamura, sure. right, against a Carmelo. Like I could see Carmelo say, "I want to, I want to beat former NXT champions." You know, something like that for him to just prove himself along the way. Wes, Wes could get beat sort of like Orange Cassidy at any moment now because he's doing the I'm willing to defend this at any time. I think they've played the story out to any time Wes loses, it wouldn't be that big of a shock because he's always out there defending it. He could be banged up. He could be tired. He could be run down. I I like the idea of Wes and Mustafa. I like the idea of even Mustafa winning this thing. If he doesn't, at least he's in a feud in – He's had a good couple months, and you you were able to use some of the buzz that he has coming off of the most eyeball seeing Mustafa in a long time this weekend. I agree. I agree. It was a really, really good weekend for him, and 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 uh, I think it puts him in a very good spot that he hasn't been in in a while, a good wrestling spot, if you know what I mean. So uh, Gigi and JC finish up their feud with a weaponized Ooh. steel cage match. This thing went about 12 and a half minutes. Top rope choke slam through the table <laughs> for the pin by Gigi. I love I love Gigi. I think she what I really like about her character too is she's just not like a clean, perfect fit. Like everything isn't smooth, but it's it's part of her character, right? Like she's not the the cleanest in ring, but she's very good and solid in ring. When I mean clean is that she sort of looks like she's brawling with you more than it's a choreographed match, which I like. Like, I think it looks more real. It comes off more fierce. Now, she deserved to win here. I understand, like, what they had done. My only cons- issue with all of this was just, I wish she wouldn't have been in that tournament and just lost right. that match. Yeah, and lost. Like, just, it, it, yeah, it's a bummer. If you just wouldn't have been in that tournament at all, or if you would have had JC be the for sure reason why she lost, yes. I think that I think that hurt Gigi a little bit. I don't know how much. I think it just took a little bit away from her with the crowd and with where they had her in their heads as, oh, could she be this next one to win this women's championship? Now, I could absolutely see her being someone to very quickly go after Tiffany Stratton. Sure. Yeah, the uh, the match itself with with Jane was I mean, there was one point where Dolan, her back, I think, was busted open from hitting either the going through a table or still steps or something. Uh, but her back was, I mean, she had lacerations on her back. Um, you talk about somebody that can go toe-to-toe with someone. I, I was going to say the same thing. I, it, if she was going to be in the tournament, she should have lost for an outside reason, not just to go over, not to just be beat. Uh, uh, to lose in the match. I, it just, it does something with it. Now, if she, you know, maybe she says, hey, you look, you know, I was beaten in the in a title match or in the tournament match and something, I, you know, I just, my mind wasn't right. I didn't like things. I, you know, I, 
I don't know. There's just so many things they can do with her, especially after what you just watched on Tuesday night. There's just so many ways you can go with her. But I do think the payoff is her winning that title. When they do, she's going to become a superstar. I really do. I think she's on the on the verge of it right now. She's really got a lot of things going for her. A lot. She can be a great, great badass babyface. Tony D'Angelo taking mug shots. Tony Tony D, man, (laughs) our poor guy. Tony D, but I like what they're doing with him. I'm I'm, I'm very interested in it. Carmelo and Trick cut their promo, and uh, and they were actually interrupted by Noem Dar, which I'll say, I'll tell you, man, this guy is really, really entertaining. I'm very much entertained by this dude. He ends up, they end up setting up a match, um, NXT championship match. Carmelo Hayes, him versus the Supernova, Noem Dar. This is our main event. The match goes 11 minutes plus. Very, very good. And then right after the match, Baron Corbin attacks Carmelo. Damn you, And it was, it was right, it, they did the old graphic on the screen gimmick. Remember, like, Triple H used to do it when they throw up the NXT graphic, the copyright, so you think the show's about to end, and then here comes Johnny Gargano, or here comes Ciampa with the crutch in the back, oh my god, you know. What'd you do at USOB? Oh my god, that son of a bitch! Yeah, so... It was great. Now, what what did you think about? I mean, because we we had a lot of opinions on the Braun Breaker Carmelo match, how it should have been booked. Dude. What are your thoughts about that? Okay, I don't like Breaker losing, but damn that look, that mask that he had on. Yeah. Oh good, my wasn't god. It? And see, like I'm just concerned, a little bit confused because it was like they well, didn't want to keep him off TV for a I, while. For a while, though, right? I know you do because when you bring him up. You don't want them people remembering that he just lost because, dude, this guy's a bad ass. Yes. If he's just treated like this, where he just goes in and wrecks stuff, man, it. <laughs> you, you you almost you look at this and you think about when he was just a few weeks ago as a babyface, and you're like, how did anybody ever think he was a babyface? Oh, yeah. You know when you watch him like this, um, man, Braun, good stuff with him. We uh. At the Wesley and Tyler Bate versus the Dyad tag team match. That was where they were setting up stuff with uh, Ali. Um, they had, they had the, Tiffany, uh, the Tiffany Stratton tiff abrasion. Man, it, the Tiffany epiphany, the Tiffy title, and it's <laughs> Tiffy time. Oh, just, just great. Um, but everybody goes after her. Um, they had all the women, like, around, I thought was a great presentation. I thought this was was pretty well done. So it looks like Tia Hale goes after her. Roxanne goes after her. Fallon Henley goes after her. We could see any of them being opponents for her moving forward on TV or on, on pay-per-views, you know. So they've got a lot going on in the women's division. They've got a lot set up with even Nikita and Sol Ruka, who are both out. We forget about That's them. That's right. That's right. Forget about them. Like, both of them are so good, so talented, and as soon as they're back, they're right in the picture as well. The And we can't forget about the the mystery attacker they, uh, they reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. So we, while we're talking all about the women, they're going to have the Battle Royal next week. Do you have any picks who you think is going to win? No, I don't. I really don't. Um, what do you think about Tiffany's celebration, her calling out the locker room, and then the confetti is falling down and so she's crying? It's, she, it, man, I'm just telling you. 
Somebody said, oh, she's the next Mandy Rose. I don't think so. I think she's better than Mandy Rose. I, I, well, I, I've, unfortunately, I think she's got – I think she's already better in the ring at a quicker b- point of her career than Mandy right. was. And right. I think she's already got – she's already found her character. You know, the thing about Mandy oh, yeah. was Mandy had to come down to NXT for a while to find that character. She wasn't always that comfortable on the main roster. Tiffany, like right now, man, she has – she checks all of the boxes. She's still a little green in the ring sometimes. Sure. But sure. I don't. I think it's okay, I, though. I don't I see okay. it. I don't even see it as much as I should or as much as some other people will will mention overall. Well, I know she's still a little green. But then I watch her matches, and it's she's improving every time, every time. Yeah, uh, it looks like she's enjoying doing it, too, man. That, that's she, one thing. If you like what you do, man, that makes you a lot better. So the uh, mystery attacker. Is Blair Davenport. Davenport. What did you think about this? And can she be someone that's presented like a big deal on NXT? Yeah, I I think so. I I think, uh, you know, the only thing is I think we need to explore more about her for those that are, you know, don't watch NXT each and every week. I know you and I chatted about it briefly, who we thought who it was. um, and, And we guess correctly i I think they they've got a lot of good things going remember we were concerned a couple of weeks ago when owwe has raided the nxt locker room especially the the women's division and and brought them all up i I think it just uh the way they've been able to turn out natural talent superstars and to bring in some new ones has been a plus that this has to be look i know wwe raw and smackdown have you know, super really good divisions and, and not a put a knock. I, I think Impact Wrestling has a better women's division than AEW without a doubt. But NXT is really, really, their women's division is very fun to watch. There's a lot of different ways they can go here. And uh, the last couple things on NXT this week were the, oh, the, we saw uh, Von Wagner and Stone. So I wonder if Dr. <laughs> Shelby's coming in because it looks like we're going to get some Dr. therapy. Shelby. We're going to get some therapy here, uh, I think. Um, oh you know what's funny? You know who was in that therapy segment was Scorpio Sky. Really? Yeah, he was in there. Like he's in sitting with with uh, Kane and Daniel Bryan. Um, when they filmed it years ago, years really? before, I no clue. Yeah, he's in. He's in there. Um, and like you could find memes and pictures of him all the time in that mix. But, <laughs> so yeah, he's in therapy there with them. Um, Joe Coffey picked up a win. Get get him built uh, a little bit back up after. Um, uh, the weekend and Joe Coffey, it was about 10 minutes or so there. The next match was Cora Jade versus Ivy. And I think, again, you want to get Cora a win just to keep reminding people that she's important and she's not too far away from, you know, the top of the women's division either. Uh oh, Coop. I think you went a little silent there for a second. Um, okay, there, okay. There we go. I, uh, and then we, we finish up. With the promotion for Great American Bash, that's going to be coming soon. And Braun Breaker was featured fun. in the promo, so that's we, that's interesting. We wonder if he's going to be on there. Hank Walker, Tank Ledger, just had a quick little uh, segment backstage, and we finished up with that uh, Carmelo versus Noam Dar match. So we have Mustafa Ali and Baron Corbin on NXT now. Looks like for the coming weeks, we'll see how that impacts the North American Championship, and the NXT Championship. Koopa Loop, my man. 
Thanks so much for your help on another week here. So we got the NBA Finals coming up. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on this one with the uh, Miami getting the job done in the oh, East, man. and then and then Boston, and then uh, Denver in the West? What do you think? Man, I, I just uh, <laughs> it, so much drama in that Eastern uh, Conference uh, Finals. I, I, I mean, Miami's just it, been who, the, really who booked uh, that shit, right? That was like a wrestling. <laughs> that was totally booked was, by Vince. I don't, I don't Vince Russo. I don't know if we. I, I don't know who's booking that. But you know, you have the you know where well the Nuggets uh, rested up. I, I look. I, I don't. I hate to go chalk here. I don't see Miami beating them four times out of seven. Me neither. But it wouldn't. It, nothing surprises me. Um, you know, I, I'm going to make a couple of last minute bets. I know some people are going to listen to this on Friday. I'm going to see what the numbers are for a Denver sweep, maybe a four one. I, I just. You know, uh, I would yeah, be surprised gonna, if Miami won two or more games in this series. Me too. I'm going to go under on a couple of the players in Miami, like Caleb Martin. He's, yeah, yeah. He, so and it's amazing to see players, like, step up in roles like this. The guy's sure. averaged nine points in his career. In the first round series against Milwaukee, where he played well, he averaged 10.2 points per game. In the second round, he averaged 11.2 points per game, and he he shot like 43% from three. He's a he's a <laughs> career a career 36% three point shooter and about 10 points per game score. So that's about his averages in the series against Boston. Every game he had at least 14 points. Every that's game, insane. all seven, he averaged 19 and a half points per game. He shot 49% from three. <laughs> so the craziest stat that I heard of all of them. He made 22 three-pointers in the seven games. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined made 18. Oh, and, and that game seven was brutal. And I was, I, I was at a, I, was this more about, is this more about the Miami Heat's journey or was this more about the Boston Celtics? I think, yes. Bottoming out. You're right. You because know? you sort of look at who, who, you know, Boston played along the way too. They didn't look all that impressive getting no. there. No. Um, versus Denver, you know, they, they be in the last two rounds, they be LeBron, AD, Durant, Booker, the, and whether or not you liked the Lakers or, you know, the Lakers were a seven sure. seed this year, they were sure. better than a seven seed because from when they made the trade, they had the second best record in the league after the trade deadline. So Lakers were better than a seven seed. Denver beat the crap out of them. Like, and I, what, what I look at Coop is like, I look at Miami's team. They remind me a little bit of like some of the personnel on the Lakers. I could see like Anthony Davis is a better version of Bam. Sure. You have LeBron is probably a little bit better version of Jimmy like right now. That's what worries me. I think Miami is like a slightly lesser version of the Lakers and the Lakers got their asses kicked. That, yeah. I, I, and I think I think Jokic Jokic has it on. I mean, this we know this guy should have been the MVP of the season. Um, Unbelievable. You know, then there's there's always in the back of your mind. Well, they they not that they did it so easy or effortlessly effortlessly. And you look on paper and they just they've been rolling teams. Do they get up there and just fall flat? No, I think Miami has a hard time getting back up, going into into Colorado. Um, and winning this, and uh, you know it, it, about the Celtics real quick. And everybody said, "Oh, well, they were down 3-0 and they tied it up." It doesn't matter. You lost. I, I it, it doesn't. 
It's the, worse. The Honestly, poor. it's worse. It's, it's, it's worse. worse to come because back. Because you were you opened a nine and a half point favorite in your home in Game Seven. You were you were minus all the momentum in the world. All the momentum in the world. They, they, you got you the luckiest. That's they a got joke. they got a gift to even get a Game Seven. They got oh, a lucky gift <laughs> when when you in Game Six they're down. With three seconds to go, it should have been 2.1 seconds, but they added right. more time on the clock first. And then Marcus Smart takes a terrible shot, and that's <laughs> normally it. And they got lucky to get the rebound put back in, give them another chance at a Game 7. They would they were the, old, the first team ever to come back from 3-0 and have Game 7 at their home. The first yeah. team ever. All the it, other it, teams that came back had to do it on the road. So that was what was different. Boston had their whole fan base, everyone there. And I don't want to hear about Jason Tatum, like early getting an injury. That happened. Sure. He twisted his ankle. He didn't look right the rest of the game. You look at Miami, they got Tyler Hero sitting on the bench. They got Victor Oladipo out. They yeah, had Gabe they, Vincent, Vincent was, missed was, the game in the series. And they yeah, got Gabe, killed. Gabe Vincent was gimpy. And yeah, look, coaching was, it was, it bottomed out. They, yeah. they never made real adjustments. And for all the crap on on Tatum, let's let's not let Brown off the hook. He was horrible. He, Brown he was, was way worse. Brown was nine, way he was minus seventeen in Game Seven. He had more turnovers than assists in the entire playoffs and in the series. He had more turnovers than assists. He shot sixteen percent from three. Sixteen <laughs> percent yeah, from three. Uh... He made a total of eight three no seven three pointers in the seven games all together and was shooting like at an unbelievable clip and he can't dribble the ball anymore. No, no. When you get to this level, teams know that as soon as he puts the ball on, on the court, you go pressure him and he's going to let it loose and he's going to turn the ball over. So it's what's fun about this is you know, I'm a Laker fan and people hate seeing the same teams in there over and over. The Warriors are in there a lot. We're going to either have, the first time it's ever been a, a number eight seed winning and a guy like Jimmy Butler will win for the first time. Who I think a lot of people like the way he plays. I think he's got a yeah, good, oh, he's, like, yeah, absolutely. He, he's got absolutely. a good, like, um, like Q rating, you know what I mean? Sure, like people, sure. people think very highly of him or Jokic and Denver is going to win for the first time. Denver's never right. even been to the, like this situation. So it's, it's going to be fun to see a very deserving team get crowned. And uh, you and I are going to be doing our best firing away on Thrive Fantasy, trying to. Uh, yes, we are. That's my that's my go to. That's my go to, man. <laughs> awesome, Coop, my man. Thank you so much, buddy. You have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, my man. All right, Gino. Don't go anywhere, folks. Make sure to give Chad a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. He'll be back here talking wrestling with us each and every week. And that's going to do it for this episode. Covered a lot of ground here. Big thanks to Eric helping us out with the NBA Finals. We had uh, lots of horse racing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Chad Cooper, Koopaloop, talking this week in wrestling. We just finished a recap of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, a deep dive of that one with Tim Kelly, so we'll have that to play with you coming up soon. We also recorded an old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne. We'll have that to drop coming up soon. We discussed NXT Philadelphia 2018. We'll be recapping Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania also coming up soon, so lots of content. And then Belmont next week. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Good luck all weekend.